On today's perspective, we have the honor and privilege of hosting a sniper qualified U.S. Army Special Forces Medical Sergeant 18 Delta, who we refer to as DOC. It was incredibly inspiring and interesting to learn about the extensive training that goes into becoming a Green Beret and hearing all of Doc's experiences, including his four deployments. He has a razor sharp mentality when it comes to overcoming the impossible. We have no doubt that this episode will leave you feeling humbled and grateful. In this episode, we do talk about sensitive topics concerning self-harm and mental health, so listeners' discretion advised. If you or anyone you know is in need, please seek professional help. We would hope and pray that anyone would realize that as Doc states, any situation can be overcome. If you would like to donate to the Green Beret Foundation, please visit greenberetfoundation.org. Oh, cool. All right. All right. Let's, All right, let's into dive it. into it because mm-hmm. you wear many hats. Right. And I want to know about all these hats. So the first thing, your U.S. Army Special right. Forces, which that, is incredible. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for your service, by the way. Thank you for your tax dollars. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> this is very important. And uh, also, we're going to be referring to you as Doc. 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 For the entire right. episode. And well, actually, I'm name. thinking for life now. Okay. Fair enough. Just remember, I'm not a real doctor. Your husband is. Yes. Not, not me. <laughs> I thought you I thought you went through something that like made... No? You didn't go to I mean, I have, I have, no, I went through special forces, medical sergeant training. Oh, okay. It's a lot of medical. I mean, so if there's a civilian, you're basically a doctor. Well, it's a PA. Oh, okay. That's what you would be. Um, the equivalent of, right. Minus the only differences really from a civilian curriculum to what I did is the prerequisites. So I didn't have to do like OCHEM and microbiology and all that stuff. Because obviously the military understands that you don't need to know how to do that to be effective. Yeah, and, right. Uh, overall, it was so it's about sixteen months of formal training, and then you're forever doing um, CE, continuing education, okay, and staying current on stuff. So it's that combined with our trauma management training is it puts us in terms of trauma puts us beyond like what a PA can do, and you're, I'm basically like a back alley surgeon you know like i wouldn't come to me but if you had no other choice i could probably help you with some stuff well that's Um, how it is like when you're out there and it's like someone's arm is bleeding out right we get trained in amputations um minor surgical skills Mm -hmm. of course like surgical interventions that are necessary for trauma management so you know like surgical airways chest tubes uh, lacerations things of that nature like we can do a, a good amount of stuff but once you get to the realm of um like cracking someone's chest or putting a hole in their head to relieve pressure, that's when we're, we, I can't do that. I mean, I can, but they probably won't survive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll get your best effort. Yeah, so I'm a Special Forces Medical Sergeant is my actual title. Okay. And in the Army, Special Forces means the Green Berets. So that's one of the hats I wear. It's a green one. and um, Top it's, tier. It's really cool. I mean, it's not top tier. It's not, but it's it's up there. Above me would be like JSOC, so Joint Special Operations Command. You know, it's like you hear of like Delta Force and SEAL Team Six. Mm-hmm. Those guys are a totally separate section of the military, and it's smaller. And their purpose is specifically for hostage rescue and like tactical mm-hmm. direct assault or uh, direct action combat, mm-hmm. like the literally like the movie stuff. We yeah. do that sometimes, but it's usually on accident. Oh, okay. Like we're not supposed to do that all the time, but we train on it because we're required to do it occasionally. Hmm. And so the thing with Army Special Forces is our distinct competency is unconventional warfare, which means essentially the U.S. government wants to achieve some sort of military objective overseas. They don't want a large U.S. footprint or signature on the operation, so they'll send in a small team of U.S. soldiers, Green Berets, 
usually consisting of 12 guys who will then go to that area, make contact with a group of men who are amicable to our objectives in the area. We train them, we equip them, and then we take them in to battle. And with our 12 man team, we'll leverage a force of guys anywhere from, you know, it could be 50 to a thousand guys for combat operations. So we're there with them. We're in the background. Sometimes we're fighting if the situation gets weird enough, but ideally if I do my job perfectly, I don't fire my gun and I leave and no one knows I was there. Mm -hmm. wow. So that's what makes it really cool. But occasionally there is fighting and there is the classic army stuff that you would imagine. So I'm sure it varies, but how long do you have to train 50 to 1,000 people it, that you're going to go meet out there? Because you're training them right. and then going in. Right. It does vary. So it depends on the people that you're recruiting, right? Are they already a paramilitary force or is it pure civilians? Because I've been a part of both. Sometimes we'll train other foreign militaries, right, to help them achieve security in their country. So it's kind of like the inverse, right? Like I am training you to help you against rebels in your country. Sometimes we're training rebels in other countries, right? Mm, okay. Um, so I've done everything from like teaching someone how to hold and fire a gun to teaching foreign national guys like more advanced levels of um, like how to shoot and move around in a house or like in an urban environment, like kind of more advanced skill set for, for war fighting. So it just depends really. And then of course everyone gets baseline medical training, which is seriously lacking in the rest of the world. So that's my piece of, of the pie for training usually involves uh, like tactical medical training. So essentially first responder stuff with an emphasis on hemorrhage control. And then I'll help out with shooting and or mortars and things of that nature as needed. Wow. So okay. what does like the med kit look like for something like that? Like how do, how do you set up camp for something when you're doing, you said that you were trained in, um, um, taking a limb off if you mm -hmm. need to, like, how do you set up for that when you're in the middle of well, you, whatever? So prior to every deployment, you start with an end state, right? Just like anything. It's just like a normal job. What's, what are we trying to achieve? And so we'll plan backwards from that and say, okay, that means there's certain implications on what we need to bring, right? There's operational deployments, so non-combat, where let's say we're going to a foreign country and we're just doing diplomatic stuff, you know, very low-level training, then you may not bring everything. But the deployments I've been on have been considered combat deployments, and so you bring everything. So everyone brings all their guns, you bring machine guns, you bring grenade launchers, you bring your mortar tubes. And me as the medic, for my part, so I have also a sniper, so I make sure the sniper equipment's good to go, which is, there's not much to that. So, you know, usually four rifles. Mm. And then my medical <laughs> kit, I will take, um, trying to remember my last pack out. I think I had six tough boxes. So if you imagine like a big rolly bin that you can buy at Home Depot, you see them in like the storage bin mm -hmm. section. There's like just a big bin that has latches on it. So I'll have anywhere from six to nine of those of medical kits. So like basic first aid stuff, IV supplies, sick call, because that's a big thing of what I do overseas is I open up my aid station to locals. Um, trauma management stuff, so kits for certain procedures, like what you're talking about. For So I have a kit for amputation, which hopefully I don't need it, right? Because that's bad. Yeah. Um, but, you know, fluid resuscitation, blood products, uh, narcotics, all kinds of different pharmaceutical drugs for clinical medicine and for trauma management. Um, you know, a ventilator, suction device. Uh, we, have, we have other clinical things that we don't deploy with. Like, I, for example, I have a microscope and a blood cell counter. Like, I was trained on it. I don't take a microscope overseas. Like, oh, let me look at yeah. your... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what I'm blood not, type do you have? Yeah, right, do you yeah. have a minute <laughs> yeah. while I go over so, your lab? Yeah. So, the, yeah, to answer your question, we, we do a full pack out, and the boxes that we take overseas are about the size of this room that we're in now. So if you're just listening, 
it's a giant storage box. Actually, you know what it looks like is those things that... The pods? Yes, yeah. the driveway pods. Okay. It's like one of those. So each team gets one of those, and you it opens on both sides. You load it up. Every guy packs his stuff, and then a personal box. And then that goes to the airfield, and those things get put onto military aircraft, just like a big UPS plane. Yeah. And so we fly wow. overseas, and then those get unloaded, and they get... If it's near where we're going to deploy, they get offloaded right there, or it'll get put on a truck, and that gets driven to our actual site where we're going to be living and working. That's wild. Yeah. So you said you were a sniper, too. Mm -hmm. So yep. what's the longest shot that you've... Um, like, I'm thinking well, of the movie. Sniper, right. Same. But, you know, it's like... <laughs> right, yeah. I forget. This was, like, over, like, three miles or something he got yeah, the guy. Yeah, that's... Um, so there's been some super long ones with like large caliber guns, like a 50 caliber gun. And I think the world record is a Canadian special operations unit. Mm. Um, I think it's somewhere like three miles or something. Uh, for me in training, my longest shot was I think around 1400 meters, which is almost a mile. How fast does that travel? That bullet? Yeah. So that was with a, a, a gun that shoots a 300 Win Mag bullet. So the muzzle velocity of that Someone's listening is going to be like, that's wrong. Um, it's, it's around. <laughs> approximately, there's approximately, only right. approximately. It's approximately about 3,000 feet per second. So it's a pretty wow. fast bullet. Yeah. And then, you know, there's different things. There's the shape of the bullet affects the ballistics of it, how it flies. But the higher velocity bullets go pretty far. Anyway, we're getting, we're getting yeah. into munitions. Sorry. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> it is cool. But so your question was longest shot. It, yeah. In training, about 1,400 meters. And then in real life, um, out to about 900 so that was, I was a spotter on that one. So a sniper team works with a shooter, the guy laying down behind a gun, and a spotter. And so that guy has a spotting scope, and he's got the information for the rifle and the weather, and he's the one who's telling the shooter how to adjust for the uh, distance and wind that's happening where you're shooting to make a more accurate shot. Are you... Like just pumping with adrenaline when you're in a situation like that. Um, or you kind of like I feel like you have to, to it. be calm actually. Not yeah, not usually. Usually I'm like really chilled out, which I think that's my form of uh, autism. You know, like when things are getting really bad, I'm like feeling you're good. Like, All right, right, this is normal. This is better, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's when a strength. I, right, though. when I get stressed out, is like you know going things out. Things are too, too quiet. Right, yeah, having to. Uh, you know, check an email or, uh, you know, call the cable company. That's when I'm stressed out. Um, but those types of things, I, mean, I can say candidly that the first time I got in a situation where I was getting shot at, we were pretty busy. So I didn't have time to get overwhelmed. And I think that's generally what happens is like the military does a good job in training of simulating stress mm. and making you uh, conduct your whatever task you're supposed to be training on or getting evaluated on, regardless of what's happening around you. So you tend to just focus on that and stay task oriented, which is usually what I did. So um, I have four combat deployments in the Middle East, and so a lot of instances of you know getting shot at or, or uh, being near like mortar strikes or IEDs, and you just have a job to do, especially as a medic. Like I was always wanting to make sure everyone was okay, and thankfully, I haven't had to treat uh, a U.S. service member overseas. And a lot of my buddies have. A lot of them have lost guys, you know, in their hands, and that's awful. Um, for me, it was only uh, my combat trauma, like when I was there in the moment, was uh, local partner force that we were working with. So still not good, but, right, but I've better got a than your own 100 percent success rate. Everyone that I touched survived and made it to the next level of care. So I'm Can very you happy about that. Elaborate more on the training. Mm -hmm. that you had to go through to yeah. prepare you for those kinds of stressful so I, situations? I enlisted in the Army as 
what's called an 18 x-ray, so 18 x. In the Army, your job has a, a number and a letter designator. It's called your MOS. So it'll be like, you know, infantry, for example, is 11 Bravo. And the Special Forces, their number is 18. So if you're an 18 series guy, you're Special Forces. And the letter denotes what your specialty is. So 18 Bravo is weapons. Charlie is, or excuse me, is phonetic alphabet. Yeah. Sorry. Charlie is an engineer, so he does demolitions and also construction. The Delta is a medic. That's what I did mm. or do. And Echo is communications, her radio guy. What's Alpha? Alpha is the officer. Okay. So he's the team leader. He also goes through specific training, but not. he is not considered an MOS guy, like a skill guy. Now, obviously, he's very important. He's the team leader. He signs for all the equipment. He's the voice of the team. He's more um, like the brains. But he's, yeah, and they also only stay for two years. He's not the brains. Take it back. Oh. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's a joke. Take it back, Ash. No, it's a joke. <laughs> no, but we, we she teach. She still didn't take it right? back. Yeah. I take, take it back. I said take it back. Um, no, he's, uh, he's the team leader, but they only get two years of command time. So like me as a, so that's an officer. I'm enlisted. Mm. So I'm a, I'm a senior non-commissioned officer. So I'm not a commission. I'm not like a colonel. I'm like a sergeant, right? Yeah. So like the it's that that side of the house are guys like I had a college degree, I could have become an officer. Right. No no issue there. But when you're enlisted, you get to stay in your job your whole career. And so if you're serious about becoming a tactical guy or being on a team or going to whatever level of like combat arms that's in your branch that's high enough, generally speaking, you're gonna need to be enlisted to do that because your time as an officer is limited. Okay. So does that create a weird relationship with you and i mean if they're coming in every two years it's like you don't really know the situation here at home but here you are coming in with certain commands and i know you obviously respect them and listen yeah for sure sure the dynamic might be weird it's becoming challenging now because um so few of them have combat leadership time so the issue we're dealing with with the wars winding down is 10 years ago every guy that got to the team because they have to do time in the regular army first they had uh, led an army unit overseas in combat. And now it's not the case. So you have, a as a senior guy on a team, it's your responsibility to train and develop that officer and help him along the way and get him to where you want him to be, right? More so than it used to be. And it's all personality-based because it's, sure. it's a team of 12 guys who are very motivated, very aggressive, usually socially aggressive and couple um, bolts loose. Yeah, most <laughs> in a uh, good you, way. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're selected that way, right? You have to be a little bit unsteady in some ways, in productive ways. Yeah. But um yeah, it's it's hard for them sometimes. Um but to get to your question about yeah. training, sorry, I got off track again. No, 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 we like, we're yeah. used to getting off track. <laughs> What's this uh, alpha mint? I'm glad yeah, we I have need you. more energy and focus. Yeah. So, training. <laughs> I, again, I that was started because I said 18 x-ray, right? Yep. So, 18 x-ray, it is a contract when I was 20 years old that I found out about. It allows you to try out for the special forces in the army directly. So, you go through basic training, you go to airborne school, and from there immediately you go to Fort Bragg in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and that's where they put you through a preparation course, which was great that prepares you for special forces selection, which is a three week long, I think it's still three weeks, it's three when I went through, program that is designed to, through a combination of physical, mental, and psychological tests, determine if you're suitable for special forces training and then subsequent deployments. Right? Weed out the ones who can't go through it. Right, gotcha. so I started with, 
I was around 350 guys, and I think about half of that got selected. It's about 150, 160 guys made it through, okay. and they'll get it's dropped for various in things, injuries, failed a psyche valve, yep. you know, didn't yep. didn't move fast enough, didn't run fast enough, didn't score well enough on the you know physical fitness test, whatever. Are there second chances? Sometimes, okay. yes. They will tell. So at the end of the three weeks, they will let you know that you've been selected. Okay. And if you're not, I've seen a lot of guys go twice and then make it the second time. Um, but I've also seen a lot of guys who are told that they're not uh, allowed to return, which mm -hmm. happens. But that's mainly for like an integrity violation or some sort of, you know, some sort of quality that a, an instructor or a cadre saw that said that this guy is totally incompatible with the Special Forces Regiment. And so yeah. they'll tell you not to come back. Yeah. But you can get a second chance. So you do that, you pass, and then you're assigned an, a job, an MOS, mm -hmm. and a language. Because the one thing that Special Forces does really well is like what I talked about earlier with unconventional warfare, you have to have a, a cultural, regional expertise. So mine was, I got assigned Arabic, and that meant I was going to the Middle East. So in Army Special Forces, you stay in that region your whole career. The, most of the military bounces you around to do different jobs every three years. But okay. in Army SF, you stay there. So I learned Arabic, and I deployed to the Middle East only. And there's other guys that go to South America only, and other guys that go to you know Asia only. And right? you don't and get Europe. to choose that. You have a preference list, okay? Um, but it's based largely off of what slots the army needs to fill, and your uh, how you did on your aptitude tests. Okay. Mm. So there's a language aptitude test as well that gauges your ability to learn a new language, and it assigns categories. So like Arabic, Chinese, Mandarin being the harder ones, you couldn't get those if you had a higher score. You would get, or excuse me, if you had a lower score, you would get Spanish or French or something. So you got one of the <laughs> harder ones. So you had scored high. Yeah, <laughs> I it. tried to. Initially, sorry, I'm chewing a mint. No, it's okay. I'm get I was more too. focused. I um, get that's the focus crazy in. that you learned Arabic. Yeah. How long did it take you to learn? Initial language training is six months. So again, back on to training. So yeah, you sorry. get your you get your job. You get assigned your job. <laughs> Luckily, I got the one I wanted. I got 18 Delta, which was medic and Arabic. Um, there's various little like three to six week phases that you go through in special forces training. Um, everything from like sort of informational educational classes to Things where you're out in the woods doing tactical stuff, like just miserable, you know, five days at a time, covered in mud and haven't showered. Naked and afraid. Can you survive R out here? Right. Yeah. Well, there's also SEER school, which is the S-E-R-E, SEER. It's the Seer military's school. survival, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Okay. And wow. so that prepares you for um, work overseas where you're going to be in denied territory and enemy territory. Mm. And it's um, a mixture of survival training, interrogation training, and then it culminates in an exercise where you are actually cut loose in the woods and you have to escape from people and then you are inevitably captured and transferred to a uh, prison camp where they simulate the conditions you could expect as a POW. Wow. So there's some, some so heavy petting. Some, <laughs> some, yeah. some for how many days? Some slapping. Yeah. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think I was there for, I don't remember exactly now, to be honest. I want to say it's three days. Three or four days. Yeah, like I kind of blocked that, that part out. Like, it was awful. It was funny, but it's awful. Yeah, like it's you're, like, you they know strip you naked. You're in pajamas. They give you literally. You look like a Vietnam POW. Yeah, I was gonna say. It camp, sounds like not. Like you're in a razor wire, barbed wire camp, like in your pajamas, and they give you menial tasks to do, like they would in a prison labor camp. Yeah. And um, throughout that time, you're interrogated and um, questioned really as practical exercises for you to be able to resist interrogation. Mm -hmm. And so they'll, they kind of give you real time feedback in terms of like slap you in the face or, 
um, to just like tell you directly, like how you're such an idiot, you know, type thing. They really treat you poorly. Yeah. If you're a female, they, you know, uh, they make your life extra hard, you know, and they, you know, physically a little hard on you or they, they simulate situations that you might experience overseas, you know, in not so nice cultures. So it doesn't go too far. Yeah. I was going to say, what are we alluding to? Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, they'll, they'll rough them up. They'll throw them around. They'll take them, you know, in a prison cell and scream at them and just, you know, call them nasty names. Like they're saying very bad things. Yeah. Like people cry all the time, mainly women. How many women go through this? Not many, but there are a lot of women in special operations command for sure. And so if you're in special operations or going to deploy with certain units, going through seer school is a requirement you have to do it where does your mind go when you're going through that like yes you know it's a simulation and you have to go through it and you're like all right i'm just i know there's an end point here but right what are you telling yourself in your mind well you're so hungry and tired so they don't let you sleep when you're when at the end you don't really sleep and they don't feed you they gave us a bowl of like salty rice on day two or three and at that point you are in the woods surviving prior to that so the woods of for three or four days as an exercise, like you're in high, you're literally in hiding and you have to set up a little hidden camp with like three or four buddies where you try to get, you try to catch fish, you try to snare rabbits. Like you make a little secret fire, you boil water. Mm-hmm. You literally survive in yeah. the woods using the skills you just learned. Then they capture you. So by the time you're in the prison camp, you might not have had a full meal for five or six days. So you're exhausted. I was hallucinating. A lot of people do. Um, Cause you're just on your feet for 20 hours a day. And so really what I told myself is it's, um, I just kind of had fun with it. Like, yeah, I did get upset at one point, very upset with, um, one of the cadre, the prison guards, um, because he kept spraying me with a hose and they identify things that bother you and they keep doing it. So, Oh, of course. Cause they're so videoing it's... you the whole time and they're like, there's psychologists there, there's doctors there behind yeah. the scenes. There's like one, two way mirrors and all that, you know, so they're watching. Wow. They're looking for your weakness. Oh, big time. Yeah. Cause they want to see like, is this guy going to do What's something? What's going to break yeah. you? Like you can be dropped from that too, because you're just a psycho, right? Yeah. Like, Oh, that's not good. You can't, you know, beat someone to death with, because you're stressed out. Right. Right. Or quit. Right. right Guys right. quit in that too. Cause they'll put you in stress positions. They'll make you squat for, you know, three hours, they'll put you in a box that's not big enough for you to lay down in, right? Like it's just, they stress you out. And it's what they call it as an inoculation. So it's not the full deal, like it's just like, right, medicine, but it's an inoculation to that stress. So that's one of the final phases. Then you go, um, when I did it, I did um, my final exercise first. I don't know what the order is of the training now, but they've they've mixed it up. So for me, total from basic training to graduation was three and a half years because the medical training added an extra year. And so, um, they do your language training. Yeah. And it culminates with an exercise called Robin Sage, which is really cool. Um, it is one of the largest, if not the largest like combat simulation in the nation, maybe the world. Where is that one? It's It's in North Carolina. Robin Robin Sage. Robin Sage. Yep. Like the bird, Robin Sage. And, um, it spans across several counties in North Carolina and is a giant unconventional warfare exercise. So there's hundreds of role players. There's all kinds of behind the scenes coordinations. There's um, like we we raided a train, like a real train. Like oh, it's wow. inc- it's a, an amazing amazing uh, exercise. Like what we got did everyone our, on the train do? No, they were in on it. Like they oh, had okay. to stop it, right? We didn't have actual dynamite and machine guns. Like you can't, you know, but it I'm was like, funny. Like, wow, they really go like balls to well, yeah. wall. So the whole point of it is they put together a student team, a student special forces team, like with the captain or the, the, the officer and all the, the MOS guys. 
and then you actually you either sometimes you can jump in usually they make you ruck in or hike in with yeah, all yeah. your stuff on through the night and then you link up with your partner force commander who's like your guerrilla leader right and you talk to that guy you develop him you train him you take his force on raids throughout the course of three weeks and it's a simulated a uh, a truncated combat mission for the green berets and so at the end of it and throughout it you're evaluated based on your suitability for your job and most guys pass at that point because you've been training for a couple of years, but um, there's a significant portion who do not. And they either get recycled and redo it or they will be dropped at that point and not wow. allowed to come back. That's in North Carolina? Right. But yeah, yeah, that, yeah the train. I was like, oh, what is this stupid exercise? Like We were <laughs> laying down near some tracks like, oh, it's going to be fake. There's going to be some instructor like walking down the tracks, right? Like, bang, <laughs> This bang, real train, train pulls up. It was a real train. <laughs> like, we were like, God. yeah, what the hell? <laughs> Yeah, we went into a train. We went into an underground, what we were told was like an old nuclear bunker that was like 10 Home Depots Wow. underground. Yeah, like it's incredibly immersive. It's very, very in-depth and it's very good at stressing people out. And you, somebody can fake it for a day or two, but when you make them tired and sleepy for three weeks and you give them nonstop problems, like you get to figure out a little bit of who they are. For sure. And so that's what they use to select you. And you graduate... Then you move from Fort Bragg and you go to wherever you're assigned. And for me, I was assigned to um, a group in Kentucky at Fort Campbell. And so they deploy only to the Middle East. And that's where I spent uh, five years there. Wow. So what was your first deployment to? First deployment was to Syria. How was that? Uh, awesome for me, not awesome for <laughs> ISIS, right? We, I, I had a good time. So we got into... Um, Syria as not our primary mission. So when we were there, without getting into too much detail, I mean, there's nothing really classified. Like you can Google it, like Army Special Forces was and still is in the Middle East, right? Mm -hmm. But essentially what happened was my team was fortunate enough to be on uh, a separate mission set. And then we got uh, mobilized to go to Syria and fight ISIS. This is 2016. So ISIS had steamrolled through Iraq and Western Syria starting in like 2014, 2015. I mean, they've been around for a while, but yeah. that's when they really gained prominence. I mean, they had billions of dollars. They were taking over banks, police stations, uh, military armories. And so we went in there to, the, to northern Syria to push them back. Did you feel like you were ready for it or were you... Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you could never be ready for something you've never done, right? But w so being in the military, especially at that level, when you're in combat arms and you train all the time and that's all you do, you it's like being on a football team, right? You don't want to practice Monday through Thursday and not have a game mm -hmm. Friday, right? Mm -hmm. So even though you, like I always tell younger guys, be careful what you ask for, right? Because younger guys want to combat. They want action. They want to go do stuff. And I tell them, be careful what you ask for, because mm -hmm. it may be the worst day of your life, mm -hmm. right? right? You don't want that, right? You might lose your legs. You might see your buddy's head get torn off. Like mm -hmm. You don't ask for that shit, but be ready to deal with whatever happens. And so I felt good about my skill set. Um, I knew, obviously, I had no combat experience, but I had some really stellar senior leadership on my team that really mentored me and the other younger guys through that process. And we did a lot of work. Um, on that deployment. It was good. What kind of questions did you ask your mentors then, like to prepare yourself for these things? Um, 
I was just going to be a smart ass, be like, where do I stand? Like yeah. over here? Like there's sometimes it's very basic things like that, right? Like, Hey, what, like, where do I, what, what should I do right now? Like yeah. go over there and hold your gun and yeah. go point it at that thing. Right. At the basic level of combat arms is essentially that it's like, let's just pull some security. Right. But anyway, the, the point is, um, you don't, I didn't really talk too much about it. There was some sidebar conversations like with my team sergeant who was the, he's the senior um, enlisted man on the team and he's he's really in charge of the team it's his team and um one of the questions i remember i asked him because he was in the uh, iraq invasion and he was kind of like a legendary dude in our group um where, where i worked in kentucky because he had so many combat deployments to that area and uh, i asked him like you know what's what's it going to be like is it going to be hot and heavy like how do we deal with this and he was like you know even when it was really bad it wasn't that bad and so and they're obviously more in detail, but essentially his message was like, you know, don't worry about it. Like we're, we're going to get through this. We're going to stay calm. You literally just have to do your job. And he actually told me one time, he was like, this is why you were selected, which is kind of a corny thing to say normally. But then when you're overseas and you're like, you have, you have crossed a border, right. And you're yeah. like holding Kinda a gun up. Peace. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you're, you're the right guy for the job. You so, are ready for it. And right. to hear that from a mentor and from that authority yeah. stand piece, right. you're like, okay, it gives you that confidence. You yeah. Yes. Well, we crossed over the border. So I was driving the truck I was in. He was with me. So like the, in the military, the guy driving is just driving the truck. The guy in the passenger seat is the truck commander, the TC or the vehicle commander. So he's the one who's navigating and he's working the radios and stuff. So he was in, I was in his truck, I guess, technically, but I was driving him and we crossed over the border and we're driving and it did not occur to me because I have not at prior to this point invaded a country right it's kind of a bucket list thing yeah <laughs> and he goes how does it feel and I was like how does what feel and he's like to be a combat veteran it's like what are you talking about he's like yeah we're in it man mm -hmm. this is it we're in combat now isn't it like, that's well, that's weird yeah that very is very strange right because nothing's happening right but legally that's what just happened and you like know? you said you don't know what to experience if you've never experienced something wild. before so you're just kind of like <clears throat> waiting for something to happen it was incredible it probably feels very surreal it was very surreal yeah very surreal and um the thing about combat that most people will not understand is it's mostly standing around and and waiting hmm. the military is excellent at standing around and waiting for things to happen but really what i mean that's you know kind of a joke but really it's being prepared right Mm -hmm. We are on standby. You are always on standby. You're being spun up for something. You're having to prepare for something else. You get a, you get a change to your mission. So now you have to pivot from that mission to another one. So now that implication for a whole nother set of gear or a whole nother vehicle or whatever, right? You are perpetually in a state of readiness, which is why they select people who are hardworking and going to be obsessive about their jobs, right? And if you're mm -hmm. not that way and you're on a good team, eventually you'll get shitted on and probably kicked off and you're your out team, of there right because right. the whole point of having different jobs on a team right is like those guys do their job so you don't have to worry about another job i don't have to worry about radios i don't have to worry about whether or not you know we have the right equipment in the vehicles for you know recovery or whatever right because all these guys are taking care of their jobs and me too right no one has to worry about whether or not i'm ready to treat casualties or deal with medevac or deal with whatever right or right. sniping stuff or shooting stuff right so you are always pushing yourself to be ready and um but i will say combat is a lot of hanging out and then it's accentuated with moments of like just incredible violence and scariness but also elation like that was my emotion that i took away with which was kind of surprising was 
um, being really happy and excited to be engaged in those situations because mm. you don't, it's the only situation that I've been in where you feel total employment of all your faculties. Right. Because yeah. you have to, right? It's like you're, you're just trying to stay alive and sometimes you're trying to take someone else's life away from them, right? So you kind of have to be paying attention during those times. Right. Do you go over all the possible scenarios that could happen while you are just, you know, quote unquote, standing yeah. around? Yeah. I mean, well, you if do this it. happens, I'm going to do this. Yeah. If this right. I'm ready for this. Yeah, Cause absolutely. if you're standing around, like I would, I it's mean, like you have to be obsessive with it because you don't want right. to get complacent. Like, right. okay, I'm just kicking dirt again or right. like playing with well, my gun. Well, it's called what ifing, right? Or yeah. war gaming, right? Yeah. And you, yes, we constantly do that. And when you're, especially if you're building a specific mission, you have to do that. It's required, right? So you'll come up with enemy courses of action, right? What's the most likely enemy course of action? Well, they're going to block the road and they're going to shoot at us with rifles, right? Okay, what's the most dangerous enemy course of action is they have 50 IEDs on this street and they, you know, are occupying the apartment building that's 10 stories and they're going to just crush us with automatic weapons. Like, so you, we call it what ifing it. Now there's a line in there where you don't want to what if it too much where you're like, what if the enemy has spaceships and yeah. lasers? You know what yeah. I mean? So you, you don't and go nuts. And the aliens come with right? them. Yeah, exactly. So you, within reason, but yes, you are constantly, you should be having, we call it contingency planning, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So okay. there's an acronym in the army that use, that is used very uh, widely. It's called a PACE plan. Mm. So P-A-C-E, primary alternate contingency emergency. So everything I do, especially as a medic, I have a PACE plan. So there's a PACE plan for evacuation, right? Like primary is going to be, you know, a helicopter. Alternate is our trucks. Contingency is our partner force trucks. Emergency is I put my gun in someone's face and steal a car and we leave, right? Um, and the same thing for treatment and for equipment or even for me for, for levels of interventions, right? Like first I'm going to do this, then I'll go this. So every aspect of your operation has essentially a pace plan aligned with it. And it has to, because if right. you don't have those redundancies and those backstops, then you're preparing to fail, right. which is not good and right. not acceptable at the special operations level. Or that at any is level, so really. cool. Yeah. Because, I mean, if it doesn't go to plan, you're like, okay, uh, right. we right. didn't think this far. Right, exactly. Like, shit, I don't have <laughs> what do we another do now? way to call <laughs> the command. Right? Yeah, you don't have another radio. You don't have a, phone, a sat phone. Right? right? It's just all these things that you don't think about. It's like, imagine... So we're in your, we're in a house, right? Imagine that when you leave the house, you're, you might not be able to come back to it for 10 hours, no matter what, right? Like, oh shoot, well that kind of changes things, right? So now I'm taking a phone. Now right, I'm taking right. a portable battery charger. Now I'm taking, you know, uh, my wallet and a bag. Now I'm taking a rain jacket. Now I'm taking an extra bottle of water. Now I'm taking some snacks and that's how it goes, right? It's like, gotta overpack. Right, yeah. You know, like we expect to be out there for four days. Like, okay, then that means we need, you know, X amount of food, water. We need, you know, this much ammunition. We need this much radios for batteries. So there's a lot of what if in it, a lot of hypothetical planning that goes into actual execution of a mission for sure. I feel like I do that in everyday life sometimes. You're ready to I be call, a yeah, green like, oh, Where's that? Where's, get out of here. I think you're right. You know they allow women in now. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. I mean, do they have like a, you know how that you can do like an escape room? Do they have a, let's, let's just go and do <laughs> yeah, it, do the training school. for a you day. You can escape and then they just beat you. Can I do it for a day? Seer school? Yeah. Um, no, it's not a joke. No, you know, I, I've said this to Sam. I'm like, I, I think I'm mentally tough to do something like that. But actually, after listening to you, I don't know right. if I am. You, I don't know thing. if I want to. Right. Well, that's the thing is if you don't want any, here's the deal. Of course, barring like physical requirements, right? Like if you can't run fast enough, you can't carry a 45 pound 
pack on your back for 12 miles, um, you know, then it's probably not for you, right? You're physically not going to be able to do it. But for the most part, people can go way further than they understand. Yeah. And that's the thing is the main thing in selection was you don't quit. If you don't quit, everything else is okay. If you can't run fast enough, then hey, brother, that's, you know, that's your destiny, right? You go do something else. But if you quit, that's the one thing that instructors will look at or guys on a team if somebody quits later in their career on something, right? Training Mm -hmm. or deployment. That is like a death kiss. Like, I don't want that person around me because it's cancer and it's cancer for the organization. Yeah. So if you quit now, then uh, can we cuss on this podcast? Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, cool. So yeah, because you need to cuss to describe quitters. Like if you quit, you can just go fuck yourself and go die. Like I don't fucking care about you at all. And that's at the entry level, right? You're maybe not a bad guy, but you don't have... What it takes. When they say what you don't have what it takes, it's just you don't have that ability to shut off your other Voice. voices in your head. Yeah. And just say, I'm doing this. And that's how I got through my training. And it was three and a half years because there's long periods of time where you're not doing anything except showing up at six in the morning, going on a five mile run. The people who didn't keep up get written up and they can only do that so many times before they're dropped. Mm-hmm. You come back at noon for accountability. They make you do body weight exercises for an hour and a half till somebody throws up. You go to lunch, you come back at three in the afternoon Somebody has a bad haircut or something stupid. He didn't wear the right pants. So now everyone is doing body weight exercises until someone throws up. And then it's 5 p.m. And then you go back to your barracks room and you're like, this is this fucking is, this hell. This is miserable. <laughs> Literally hell on earth. Yeah. I did that for, so my security clearance wow. got delayed. So I was doing that from October till February. Oh my gosh. Did you ever throw up? No, never did. I never threw up in training. Just do you on get Friday lightheaded? nights. Like, what? do you get lightheaded? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I just said any English words. Light- <laughs> Lightheaded. Because I feel like sometimes like um, in a hard workout, there are people that throw up and there are people that pass out. I, I'm I, never one to throw up, but I might pass I out. I start to, to see stars. Yeah, that's good. You should get that checked out, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm okay. just like, that all right, was, I, I need yeah. some water. Dehydrated, <laughs> or my, yeah. my iron's really yeah, yeah. low. I got a couple times I got really super dehydrated to where I was like a low-grade heat casualty. Yeah. So like not heat stroke, but um, uh, what do you call it? Stress. Heat. God, what's the one below that? Basically, I got like a really, really bad headache in the base of my skull, and I was Mm. starting to get like disoriented and grumpy. And you don't realize it when it's happening, right? Because you're just dehydrated and overheating. You just have salt seeping out your pores. Yeah, Yeah. you smell like cat piss, you know, and I was getting super mad. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am maybe having a heat stroke right now. I need to chill out. So I've gotten close, but I've never passed out or puked, no. Do you just say, never give up, never give up, never quit, never quit, like over and over don't, in your Yeah, head. I just don't. Usually I play a song in my head, and that's... I a just, Radiohead song? Yeah. Uh, it was For me, it was in the Q course, which is what they call our training thing, it was Johnny Cash. Oh, that's and so then, good. Yeah, it's a drive on. That yeah. was my... I actually have it tattooed on me. Really? Was, really? Every day. So I that's like saying, your mantra. don't mean nothing. Drive on. And I just kept <laughs> driving on just in my little autistic Doc, that world, is amazing. You know? No, you you were. You were happy yeah, in your head. Yeah, just chilling the whole time. Well, you have to like go to a yeah, quote unquote happy place. Yes. Or just think about like, all right, just get through the next hour. Right. Sometimes it I is anger because sometimes when there's this like 40-year-old dude walking around with like a whistle, you know, and he's making you do flutter kicks until you barf, you're just mm. like, fuck you dude yeah, and yeah. you get so mad that you want to just tear his face apart like dough and but you just keep going because you can't because you can't beat up an instructor you'll mm-hmm. get kicked out and so yeah anger sometimes factors into it but usually for me the way to get through it was to 
pull back and be a little more blissful, a little more peaceful with uh -huh. it and just understand that nothing is permanent. It, this mm -hmm. will be over soon. And it just one step at a time, you can get through anything. How did you encourage your teammates that would not perform like you did? And then you'd get back from a workout and because they came in with a bad haircut or their pants the wrong <laughs> yeah. way, but you never you well, know, fell into that. So that's in training. And when you're on a team, the team life is much more relaxed. Like that's one cool thing about Army Special Forces. And it's kind of a, a running joke is like people want to join because they see a guy overseas with long hair and a beard and a baseball hat on. Because when we're overseas, we get more relaxed standards when it comes to our uniforms and our gear. And we're given like actual authority to grow out facial hair to mm. blend in with the locals. That's why if you see like mm, guys overseas and like war, like yeah like military photos overseas guys with beards and stuff, they're somewhere within special operations command and they've been given approval to do that. Because otherwise, in the military, you have to shave your face. It's like literally my least favorite thing was shaving every day. Really? Yes. And so you're clean shaven today. <laughs> I am, but I, you know, I didn't shave for like three days prior. So right. okay. it used to be every morning. It's like, well, here we go. Let it irritates see. your skin. Yeah, it's not yeah. good for your face. It's one of my arguments. I'm like, you can make people so much happier if you just let them grow beards. Yeah, they will stay in the military. That's they so think funny. it's cool. All right. Anyway, um, the team life is much more relaxed. So regular army. Zero six, you're outside in the army, you know, physical training uniform. Everyone's, you know, they're singing cadence and they're running down the road, like literally what you would imagine in a movie. That happens in most of the military. In special operations command, it's usually much more relaxed. And like I usually, you do team PT together once a week or more, depending on your team culture. But the point is, it's what you call big boy rules, right? Mm -hmm. Is you're expected to maintain a high level of fitness. I don't need to tell you anymore to go run. Like you need to just go do that, right? You can have longer hair. You can push it a little bit and have like cool guy surfer hair, but don't look stupid. Right. Like I had a guy show up with a mullet one time and it was like, you dude, fuck no. Absolutely <laughs> fucking not. Like get change that shit now, right? So you police yourselves, but that's why Special Operations Command gets more um, leeway. leeway, right, overseas is because generally speaking, not speaking for everybody, but generally speaking, it's older, more mature dudes whose decision-making capabilities are better. So team life is actually very good. It's very relaxed. Most of the time I would go to work at nine because I like to work out in the afternoon. So your work call is at nine o'clock and the military when it's not overseas is just a day job. It's mm -hmm. a nine to five. Um, now, granted, you're working towards something, right? right? Deployment or prep or whatever. You're doing army-related stuff, but most of the time... Um, in garrison, you're in just like a, a team room office type setting, like I, a firehouse. I kind of want to like get into mental health and how, I mean, you're around gunfire every day, probably. When not right now. Not right now. Overseas. But like when you're, oh, when you're overseas, you're in gunfire. I don't know if you guys are like training every day or like yeah. how many IEDs you are exposed um, to and, well, well, and how that me, affects. I've, for me, I've been blown up once, thankfully, okay. by an wow. IED and other explosions from like mortars and stuff being nearby. Um, so not too bad. A lot of people out there got it worse. Um, as far as shooting goes, depends on where you're deployed to. So, like, I just got back from deployment this year with the National Guard. So, I was active duty, excuse me, for 12 years. I'm now in the Special Forces National Guard. Okay. So, still doing it, but just part-time, and they let you move wherever you want, which is why I'm here now. Yeah. Um, if you're in an area that has ranges and stuff, like, for example, in the Middle East, certain areas are just open desert. So, you're shooting every day. You're training every day. It's fun. Um, some places, you don't shoot at all. Like, I was in Baghdad this year and there's no shooting range there for us 
for the most part. So you're not shooting very much unless you go out on a combat mission or you go out to a far western area of the country where there's more bases where you can shoot. Um, but generally what you're getting at and what I want to talk about a little bit too is the effects of overpressure on yeah. your brain, right? So shooting guns like an M4 assault rifle, right? Like moderate overpressure, but you start getting bigger. You shoot uh, 30 caliber, like 7.62, like a machine gun or a 50 caliber machine gun. You start to elevate the amount of pressure that's hitting your head, right? And then if you do anti-tank weapons training, so shooting rockets, right? Like a, a large scale big rocket that looks like a Crayola crayon, you might go to the anti-tank training range and shoot five or 10 rounds that day. Wow. And that overpressure is devastating for your brain. And then same thing with IEDs, right? Like you get blown up by that. Like I remember the IED hit our little convoy. Luckily, no, no one was killed. But one of the trucks got lifted up off the ground, like thrown off the road, the one that ran it over. And my, uh, the truck in front of me, his mirror of his windshield got blown off. And I was right behind him. So I just got like a shockwave, not a big deal. Um, but after the fact, I realized, and again, this was my first deployment as a, as a junior medic. And I was just kind of oh, like, wow. uh, I expected the dude in the front truck just to be like juice, right? Yeah. But he was actually fine. He came out of the truck like a cartoon character, like covered in dust and was like swat, <laughs> cleaning himself off with his It's like hat. not funny, but you're like, right? oh, thank God, you're it was, okay. Yeah, it was, right, yeah. You were in Syria? Yes. Okay. Because yeah. it was your first deployment. Right. And so um, luckily everyone survived and the truck started up again. But nice. <laughs> I remember my guy who was in the truck whose mirror was blown off the windshield, the truck itself wasn't damaged. Maybe it was a cracked window or something, but there was no shrapnel that hit it. And I remember being like, again, you're very busy, right? So like minor injuries are not um, your chief focus. You're looking for massive hemorrhage and you're looking for problems with airway, things that require immediate intervention and also evacuation, right? So I'm just checking everybody, have call out on the radio. Hey, everyone check yourselves, right? Let me know if you're bleeding. And I remember after the fact he had a headache and I remember thinking that, okay, like we're all dehydrated. We're all smoking cigarettes with the Syrians. We're all dipping our heads off. You know, we're all taking energy drinks to stay awake all night. Um, like, yeah, obviously you have a headache. But then mm -hmm. I, much later I realized, you know what? Shit, he probably had a TBI from the explosion. I didn't catch it right at that moment. Later I did, like a day or two later. But also the point I'm getting at is even if he had and almost certainly did have a minor TBI, traumatic brain injury, mm -hmm. Um, he would not have left and I wouldn't have wanted him to leave because we had a, we had eight men at that point on that, in that area and we needed all of them. Mm. And it's a thing that you do in the military is like, so for example, also on that deployment, I shot me and my, a couple other guys on the team were working with the mortar teams of our partner force. And we shot somewhere around three to 400, uh, 120 millimeter mortars. So those are like a wow. giant football. They're like 35 pound footballs with the fins on them, you know, so you, it's a mortar, you throw it in the tube and yeah, it, yeah, boom, yeah, it yeah. shoots out, right? So we shot a ton of those and occasionally we, it's called right in the base plate. So when you're setting it up, you stand on the actual base plate that it's mounted to and, and you hold it and someone shoots the mortar and you're like right next to it as it goes off, right? So we would do that dozens of times a day. And um, 
that there's no way you can do that without significant overpressure to your brain, right? Whoever's so, holding it is in a very bad Yeah, I wrote it in a couple of to it. Yeah, or if you're just shooting it all day, right? You're not supposed to shoot those all day, but it's it's combat. It's right. a deployment. It's, right. There's eight guys there, and you're working with partner force, and we're fighting ISIS. This is not like the time to go. Yeah, you're not doing this as yeah. like a hobby. Yeah, and like, and that's the the thing of getting what's well, getting towards brain health and and wellness is like the overpressure causes injuries to your brain. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, it's subclinical. So it does not manifest as any sort of symptom, right? And the tendency is to, even if there are symptoms, to play through it. Because I'm not fucking leaving. Right. I'm not going back to America because I have a headache. Like, I am staying here with my guys. Mm-hmm. I don't care if blood's coming out of my ears. Like, I would literally have to be dragged out of my truck and back over the border in order to leave. I will not... Willing to go, yeah. No, hell no, right? I even told my mom before that trip, I was like, don't Red Cross message me. Don't give me updates on the family because I'm not coming home. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) As a mother, I'm like, oh. Oh yeah, she hated it. Oh, I'm sure she did. That would be like, no, you're my baby. She still cries. I'm like, I'm going to, you know, Georgia for some training. She's like, are you going to be safe? Like, (laughs) mom, I'm a full grown man. It's okay. Yeah, it it certainly was hard for her. You know, it's not easy for her. But that's the level of dedication that you get at that level. Yeah, well, you have to have it. If you don't have that, then again, fuck you. Right. right? If you want to leave early and go somewhere and do something else and you're leaving the team high and dry, don't come back. Well, it's the deepest level of loyalty. I mean, this is literally life or death. So right. it's like if there's even a question of you just like, I think I'm going to dip out because I have a headache or what have right. you, then it's like, I don't want you. Right. Like I need someone that's going to Correct. lay their life down. Right. And sometimes you just maybe like now in the military, there's not enough guys. Right. So you hang on to them. But it's like, but, you know, you're a piece of shit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just want now you we to can know. use the whisper. My kid, <laughs> yeah. I hate you so much. I fucking hate you. I hate you. Sometimes there's a couple guys right in my head, and I look at them. You're talking to How them right they, now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they're listening. I mean, they probably they, aren't. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> but so the, anyway, the point is, traumatic brain injury is caused by overpressure. Mm-hmm. The military creates much more overpressure than it knows, and it's becoming more clear. And the problem with it is PTSD symptoms, right? PTSD, what are PTSD symptoms? You guys, I'm actually curious. What just rattle off a couple? Like, what what do you think of like classic post traumatic stress? Oh, what we would a, consider. Yeah, what's a symptom? Like, just from anybody, it doesn't have to be a soldier. Like, what did that? Was that person behave like? I think of erratic behavior, mm-hmm. like being triggered, night terrors, anger, anger, depression, mm-hmm. right, um, isolation. Yeah, for sure. Impulse control. Impulse issues, control. Right. Violence, maybe. Right. Yeah. For sure, right? So those are classic PTSD symptoms, but those are also the symptoms of CTE, right? So cr- chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Have you guys heard of CTE? No, I was going to ask you I that. have because I was reading your you read the table Body book. Keeps a Score, right? So, and Body Keeps a Score. Um, so, oh, yeah, also that. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly what the article's about. So essentially what happens is overpressure squishes your brain, right? Your brain doesn't like to be squished, so it gets injured. Because of the shock waves that travel through your skull, it bounces around in there and it devitalizes the brain cells. And those brain cells die. You lose certain levels of function of your brain. It affects you negatively in those ways, like those symptoms we just listed. And it's irreversible. And it's undetectable except by necropsy, as far as I know right now. I don't think it's been developed yet where you can see that. So you have to cut someone's head open and slice their brain in half 
to see the devitalized proteins that are there. Just to look for a symptom of a possibility. Well, it's a, not a symptom at that just point. A, he's dead. Well, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> just like to a, diagnose. Correct. To definitively diagnose, it's done through necropsy. Again, I think right now. It's worth a Google. Where's yeah. Jamie? Pull it up, I know. Finger, uh, um, Dave Chappelle calls them fingers. Fingers. <laughs> so I'm always like, yeah. we need a fingers. Pull it up, fingers. Come um, on, fingers. Yeah, just like how CTE diagnosed. I'm pretty sure it's only postmortem. So I think you're correct. Um, the thing about it is those CTE symptoms are caused by overpressure, right? Yeah, or only just, during an autopsy. Right. So brain injury, right? And in the military, it's a ton. Anytime you're shooting, like if you're doing what I do sometimes, like training inside of a, a, a house, right? Sometimes you blow up things in the house for specific reasons, like related to getting from one room to another. Mm. You're just eating those shockwaves. It's going straight into your head. And so CTE causes the same symptoms as PTSD, and everyone is lumped together. And they think, well, this dude's just, he can't control himself at family parties, or this guy's depressed, or he's withdrawn. And what I want people to understand, which is why I wrote that article, is your behavior, I'm not trying to discount anything that's happened to you emotionally or experientially, but there is a strong correlation or causation between the physical damage and the effects of what you're feeling on your behavior. So it's not your fault. If you've had physical injuries to your brain, mm -hmm. and you don't know it, that behavior is a manifestation of those physiological changes. So the destigmatizing of those types of behavior and getting someone help, definitely through counseling, right? Because that's a valid modality. Because it mm -hmm. probably is PTSD associated with those whatever activities you did, but also understanding just as a as a patient, right? Of like, man, I am fucking sad all the goddamn time. And you're like, well, tell me about your life. I'm like, well, I was a college boxer for nine years or whatever. Right? Oh, okay, you you have brain damage. Yeah, like it's you're not your messed up. For nine you years. have brain damage, right? It's like for me, like I have trouble sleeping. I have certain issues with, you know, cognitive stuff and focus and memory and things like that. And it's something I have to remind myself of like, hey, dude, like, don't be so hard on yourself. And yeah. also communicate to my wife or whoever your partner is out there. Like, there's physical things that were changed about my brain and it affects me sometimes. But again, with that book, The Body Keeps a Score, one of the things I learned about was um, EMDR therapy. So it's therapy specifically for PTSD. And so... Again, there's physiological stuff with my brain. That's whatever, right? I'll deal with that. But then the emotional aspect of it also is incredibly helpful to process. And it's essentially bilateral stimulation, excuse me, um, that mimics REM sleep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like yeah, eye movement. Eye. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some smart person a long time ago figured out that rapid eye movement and bilateral brain stimulation helped the body process information better i mean it's, it makes sense right it's yeah, like you what you're doing while you sleep right yeah yeah you're in deep sleep your brain is chewing on all this stuff and processing it and that's what they try to do during waking hours with therapy so like i place i go to i have like vibrating uh paddles hmm. one in each hand and you're awake i am awake for the most part sometimes yeah. <laughs> I, but that's what's cool about it is like at the end of a session you're either going to be crying or almost asleep because you'll go in there and you deal with something you process something that's bothering you and um something you might not even know right is there. and you over time over and over again processing it with this stimulation which there's some magic to it um by the end of it i'm i go from like a nine out of ten of just being amped up and angry to like literally falling asleep on the couch in like five minutes so you're holding vibrating panels paddles 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 it's just like a little stems unit you know what i mean yeah like in the there's a little controller and they can change the rate and rhythm and then are they like 
telling you anything? Are you looking at yeah, something? Yeah. Like it's what like, is like Well, you can do you can sit, you lay down. I mean, everyone does it different, I'm sure, to okay. a certain extent. But it's like it's not really talking therapy. All they're doing, the therapist is just coaching you through the process. Okay. So it'd be like, hey, think about something that's bothering you. Like, and okay. then you process it yourself. Right. And okay. they just they'll you'll sit there and vibrate for like whatever 20 seconds and then they'll check in with you, like, how are you feeling? Like, oh, not good. I'm thinking about this now. And they they are just like your spirit guide, right? Yeah. They're just walking you through. It's like, you know, a trip that they're taking you yeah. on and helping you <laughs> process. Take this acid. Right. Yeah. Hey, how are you feeling now? Yeah. Like, not good. <laughs> and that's how it goes sometimes. Like, how are you feeling now? Like, awful and like oh cool why is that and you just figure it out so yeah. it's a very cool modality out there for anyone dealing with ptsd or they're looking for a less traditional therapy modality then emdr is a, EMDR. a good way to go and how long is each session usually uh for me it's about an hour sometimes okay. it's more so i went and got specifically reached out to a, a veteran therapist and just because they're going to be able to more relate easily guide you through the process and relate right so sometimes she'll will go longer you know, if she has makes more time for me just because she understands you know like hey this patient population is more prone to you know suicide or being really hard on themselves right so yeah. she is there for it all the time which i appreciate did so, you go and search that out yourself or was that something that you had mentors that helped you with afterwards too it, no i i well, it came down from uh, my wife and i actually doing it she's doing it as well um, separately, not, we're not doing it the same, like together, but that got to the point where, again, the physical stuff, right? The physical things I can deal with, like not being able to remember someone's name or not being able to sleep. I can rip, that's fine. I don't give a shit. But the emotional stuff was getting to the point where I was not being a good partner and communication was becoming hard. So my default would be to just shut down instead of communicate because I wasn't able to process anything. And it got to the point where it was a fork in the road of we either need to get better or we need to, you know, get used to a new reality of just being miserable our whole lives. Mm -hmm. And neither of us wanted that. And me specifically, like I, for sure, I will say like I need, I'm a, I'm a fixer upper. You know what I mean? I got good, we all are, got a good foundation, but it needs a lot of work. You know what I mean? The no, plumbing. we all We're are. We're all a work we, in progress. Right. Truly. So we, you know, I have to credit my wife with that a big time. She inspired me, which is what a good partner should do, right? Mm -hmm. Like she's the reason why, if I get better at all, why it's happening. Because if I'm left to my own devices, I'll just live in a one-bedroom apartment and play Xbox and try to get on every combat deployment I can and never come home. Well, that's so, why it's so important to have a support system. For sure, for sure. And I'm uh, very lucky to have that. Not a lot of people do. Right. And um, that's why, like I wrote that article, and that's why I want... Uh, people to understand that there's physical things through overpressure, whether you know it or not, that have happened to you that can be causing those emotional states that you're in. It's a physiological change to your brain that's affecting you, you negatively. And it, there may be an emotional aspect to it. And you said it's irreversible? Because I, I hear the, all these... Sorry. Well, no, I hear all these things about the brain and like how, you know, it can build new pathways. And, you know, if you have like... Um, if you split your hemispheres, like the brain learns, you know, tricks to go from left to right and create new pathways, blah, 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 blah. So if your right. brain cells are deteriorating from all the pressure, mm -hmm. I, I wonder think, if there's something. Well, I'm sure there's, well, I'm not sure. I know there's smarter people than me out there. <laughs> um, I think there is some recent stuff that shows, you know, with a combination of like dietary changes and, and therapy and sleep stuff 
that you can get some neuron regeneration at mm -hmm. the brain level. I don't know all about that, but what I do know is the devitalization from CTE is for sure permanent. Okay. So think of it as like um, a scar, right? It's like you get cut, you're, you get a scar, and you get that like little nodule. You get like the little line on your skin, right? Yeah. That's kind of like what's happened in there. It's like calcified. You scar know. tissue. Yeah. So it's it's that's not coming back, I don't think. Right. But there it used to be the old thing, right? It was like your brain cells don't grow back. I'm pretty sure that's been debunked. I think they do grow back, yeah. but maybe a slower Not rate. as strong, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, we were talking about fasting earlier, and I think that's probably the most important thing people can do for any sort of inflammatory or cellular damaging process in mm -hmm. the body, right? Is like getting that regenerative effect of intermittent fasting. You know, I think it's important. It's super important. I was just talking about this with my little brother. We looked it up. It's, I think at 36 hours is when cell autophagy happens where your body comes together and they're like, okay, all these cells are not operating at a hundred percent, clears them out. And then once you refeed, new cells grow as your stomach then expands again and all your mm -hmm. organs start expanding again from the depletion. It's incredible. I, I agree. Yeah. I think fasting is a tool that everyone needs to utilize. Totally. I, to me, it makes sense because you have, I think it mimics a normal biological rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't, we've had, by we, I mean humans, we've had some massive changes in the culinary world, you know, in the last, let's say hundred years, right? I mean, even probably less than that, 60, 70 you know, in terms of processed foods and vegetable oils and processed sugars, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So we used to have more whole foods 100 years ago. And then a 1,000 years before that, you know, there was real whole foods, like you're eating a potato and you're eating a piece of meat with no salt on it mm -hmm. and you're eating whatever else you could find that Everything day, right? Everything from the earth. Yeah, you didn't w roll out of your mud hut and eat some Eggos <laughs> yeah. with fucking syrup on it. You know what I mean? At six in the morning. Everything is Everything synthetic. was not at your disposal yeah, right? like, and you didn't dude, know when yeah. your next meal was going to come. There's so no, you might have to chill for a while. There was no McMuffins next to the saber-toothed cat. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you did, that did not happen. So um, I think with fasting, what it mimics, and this is just me just totally you know, making shit up as I go. No, but there, it's like, proven that get, it... Yeah, you get up, you get a drink of cold water, right? So like something from a stream. Maybe you have a couple berries or something that you had from the night before that's you kind of forage for. Mm -hmm. But you definitely didn't have any animal fats. You didn't have any complex carbohydrates probably mm -hmm. on standby, right? Because that's a recent development as well in terms of like your gut health. We didn't have refined breads and things of that nature for what's well, only been a few thousand years maybe. Yeah. Um, and so I think that mimics reality. And once you get past that, like 9 or 10 a.m. of like, ooh, I was a little hungry, I was a little peckish, <laughs> then you feel really good, pecky. right? Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel. Like around 11 or 12, I'm like, I can actually blast through until dinner time. Yeah, and you feel clear, right. I've, but, I've noticed. But like, if you give in and you are you just eat something, especially like the other day, hanging out with baby boomers is the worst because they're like... <laughs> It's like 9.15 and they want sugar coffee and they want a Danish. And oh my like, gosh, my dad. Dude, my mom. <laughs> my dad's like, do you want any Eggos? Or he he still eats like Hostess right. crap. I'm like, please, for the love of God, stop all eating All of them. That. Anybody over 50, they're all going to get the beatus. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's happening. Like You can't eat sugar. God you, forbid. Yeah, you blow out your pancreas, you know? It's like, you know what I do fun? I run 80 miles a day. It's like, okay, well, your knees are going to go away in 20 years. Like, that's okay, but you just know that your knees are going to go away. Same thing with your pancreas and with your organs, right? If you wake up 
and you just blast yourself in the face with a banana muffin. Like that's not good. Well, it's the no. sugar too. Yeah, and that's the thing. And All by 10 a.m., you're starving, right? Because right. you burn through that sugar and your insulin, and you're going into insulin shock. Yeah, and it's very basic stuff. So anyway, the fasting, I think. At our level, not, you know, without getting into any sort of advanced like medical interventions, I think intermittent fasting and the regenerative capacity that it can offer is all we can do to reduce any of that inflammation. And just like you said, you feel clear. Like I feel really good. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, mentally I am at my best after I've made it through most of the day without eating. Mm -hmm. All your senses are acute. You can you can focus on anything. I mean, we didn't even need these months. We just needed to not eat anything no, this just, morning. Yeah, I just like to party. You know? And I mean, <laughs> I do feel this, by the way. I feel like very you? alert. You feeling alert? I feel like I'm white-eyed. and like you. <laughs> We've got a selection of things in this yes. little tray. Um, Help yourself to that's chapstick. I don't want chapstick from a tray on the table. Who's is this? Why would I? <laughs> you're very I, gracious I might have host. An, like, here's, would you like this mouth I love stick? That you're actually, else? that is <laughs> me being selfish and that's just mine. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> I did use it this morning. You can use it. Well, if you guys use it, that's fine. But that's not like the, here's the, here, no, here's it's not the, the, commu the chapstick. community yeah. chapstick. That is hilarious. Yeah, I literally just bought this from we the market last night. We also have a toothbrush. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, what else? maybe some socks. Just some dirty socks. I'm going to eat another energy and focus mint. So if I actually blow through the ceiling right yeah. now. That's <laughs> because of the, right the neuro mints. Yeah. I like this stuff. Yeah, it's good. You did intermittent fasting and you did all these, you know, three and four day fastings when you had to be, <laughs> when you were away in the... Stop I'm still laughing about the chapstick. Uh, when you were in the forest anyways. So yeah. we were talking about how we, you, you know... were in the forest. Willingly the forest. do it. <laughs> Being a little forest fairy. Yeah, woods. right. I was a nymph is the correct <laughs> term. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, I like it. I think it's definitely the way you need to be. For me personally, I've lost, so I want to say at this point, I'm, I'm down about 15 pounds. I'm always a, I'm a large mammal, right? I'm not a small person, you know, and I like to be bulky, you know what I mean? I like to work out beach muscles and I like to be in shape, but I also like to have some self-esteem, right? Like have big muscles. Yeah. And part of that is having a little extra body weight. If you want to be a true meat castle, mm -hmm. you got to have five or 10 pounds of bulk, right? Mm -hmm. Like bulking. So intermittent fasting helped me shred all the way down to where I've lost, um, yeah, it's, I think 15 pounds at this point. And again, it wasn't like I needed to lose weight. Like I was functional. I was in shape. I was just a little bigger. And now shredding all the way down. My point is, I think carrying around that excess body fat, especially visceral body fat, is very damaging for you. And it definitely... Maybe not getting too shredded because fat is a is a endocrine organ technically, but losing that excess body weight I think is just so good for you, right? You can have a couple extra pounds, have you know twenty inch arms. That's tight, you know. I'm all about it. Be huge. Have you measured your arms before? No. <laughs> yes. I'm not. Say. I'm not going to say like, what it was. Twenty inch arms. Okay. It's it's more than fourteen, less than twenty, probably. I don't know. It's been a while. That's so funny. I'm not gonna give my numbers out on the it's internet. Okay, you don't need to. Right. Okay. Good. I put you right. on the spot. I'm, I'm five nine, 140 pounds. Everybody. Have, <laughs> no one can associate have, you, anyways, because they don't know yeah, your name. I have 12 inch arms. I'm five foot nine, and um, I have scoliosis. Uh, no. So. But he's a green. Boy. I think it's good for. Yeah, it's true. I think it's good to shred down. Um, I think excess body weight is definitely an issue in America. I've traveled a lot. Um, you know, Europe, Middle East, etc. Haven't been to Asia yet, but. For the most part, um, the rest of the world seems to be doing a little bit better than us in terms of body composition. So it's important. It's super important. So fasting for sure. What about 
other exogenous things in terms of like um, PTSD and like... So yeah, actually that's... Because I've heard ketamine is actually a really amazing form of therapy. Do you have any? I don't. Oh, <laughs> I left it. that at home. Went, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Right? No. Uh, it's in so, my other bag. Right. It's... Um, so we'll start with least invasive stuff. For me, and I actually had to deal with this recently, uh, TBI management initially, right? Like, um, so I had to treat a U.S. service member overseas who was in a vehicle rollover, right? So definitely TBI, you know, was classic amnesia, like out of a movie, like, oh, where am I? Who am I? Right? Didn't know who he was for like five hours, basically. Um, I tried to get him started on some neuroprotective supplements. Well, I didn't try. I did. I mean, I ordered him to do it. Like yeah. he was a lower ranking. And he's like, listen here, bitch. Like, yeah. this, you take you're going to eat this shit. And then you're going to sit right here next to me <laughs> all day and be a good little you. boy. Yeah, right? <laughs> so treating a brain injury is interesting because as long as it's not traumatic, right? There's no brain swelling. There's no brain bleeding. You're basically trying to mitigate the effects of the TBI by... Um, limiting activity and increasing a few supplements. So like I gave him, I put him on creatine, monohydrate, and a bunch of fish oils and vitamin D and B. Mm. Basically just pumped him full of vitamins. Mm -hmm. And you have to be careful with a brain injury. You can't get over engaged. So like no video games, but also not total darkness, right? So you have to just have somebody in like idling for a day or two. Um, and for whatever reason, that's been shown to be beneficial for brain injury recovery. I don't know why, but it is. Um, the old school is like, oh, you got you hit your head, go to sleep, right? Yeah, <laughs> you don't, yeah. don't want to go to sleep. No. And also, it's a vital sign, right? Like, I need right. to see you talking for a few right. more hours. <laughs> I need to make sure you are awake. Yeah, make sure you're not going to die, yeah. right? So um, uh, I take creatine monohydrate every day. It's an excellent weightlifting supplement. It's one of the few things that's been shown to like increase ATP, also gives you an insane pump because it helps your muscles retain water, which mm -hmm. is cool. Um, and then I usually take athletic greens. I forget quite often, but I try to take that. And then um, later in the day, I'll take like a, a vitamin complex just because, again, fasting in the morning, like if I take too many vitamins, I will just feel sick. Yeah. Yeah. So it wrecks your stomach. And I also think I'm not sure you're supposed to take those on empty stomachs, right? Because yeah. the absorption is not as good. Yeah. The bioavailability. I think you need fat. Right. Most of the time. Yeah, so take it in a little tea tablespoon of olive oil or a couple yolk, right. bites of yogurt. Right. right. So that, for me, supplementation is pretty limited to creatine and then vitamin complexes. Um, I should be taking more fish oil, but I, I don't. That's just me being lazy. Cod liver oil is amazing. Cod for, liver oil. Yes, we'll get you some, Dad. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I need it. I need more cod livers. Cod livers, You're omega yes. uh, <laughs> Yeah, fish oils. You know, we, so my wife and I are making a concerted effort to eat more of like a Mediterranean style diet. So more healthy fats, a lot of olive oil, you know, cheeses, cleaner meats, yeah. you know, gluten-free breads. If we do it, you know, hummus, things mm -hmm. like that. So, uh, that also makes so me good. feel a lot better. Do you know what blood type you are? I am O positive low titer. So low titer means yeah, I what can, does that mean? I'm a almost basically like a universal blood donor, almost like O negative. I think I'm O positive. I'm O something. Are you positive? I don't know. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> I, 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 Wait, I you're not positive. positive or you're not know because positive? I, I had to know that at the hospital. when I, was, sure? I have blood tests yeah. downstairs. We could do it. You have blood tests? Yeah. Oh, that's right. You're an RN. I know. I'm super interested oh. in... So you have Eldon cards. Yes. Is that what it is? Yeah. So I have to use those overseas to make sure you don't oh, cross-type yeah. somebody incorrectly. I was going to ask how you did that earlier. Yes, Eldon cards. Mm -hmm. so everyone gets cross-typed and titered in our 
in my team, everyone like in the de- battalion who's going to deploy, yeah, will get cross type or um, cross typed and specifically titered like from a lab, like a no shit. We get an Excel spreadsheet. So for everyone listening, that titer is your the positive or negative, and right? how strong so that it's is the Reese's the RH factor, yeah, right, and how strong it is. So like for me, so. If O negative means you have no... Universal donor. Right. You know, you don't have any antigens Correct. against a positive RH so factor. your blood can go into anyone's and it won't have an allergic reaction. Other blood has antigens on it and it can cause... Uh, essentially, their blood starts clumping up and it's insane and they'll just have a horrible yeah, allergic reaction and it. maybe die. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so everyone needs to know. So when we have a guy who's O negative... He's the little blood piggy. So yeah. like, cut him I, over here. Yeah, get him over here. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you just, Keep his fluids going. Yeah, right? you just in one way, him, out the right. other way. And you're just scooping like blood so out morbid. of him and drinking it. Yeah. No, it's like I always, well, not always, but usually I'll have blood units on me, like fresh whole blood in a bag, like in a little cooler on my back. Like that's how I roll around if we're doing actual um, missions mm-hmm. so I can give a field blood transfusion. Right? I was going to ask you, or when you do bring blood products, if it's just always O negative. It's not always O negative. Okay. Sometimes it'll be O low titer, or sometimes it'll be a type specific one that's just that's all the the surgical hospital had okay. that I could take out, right? Um, but generally speaking, yeah, it's preferably it's a universal donor. Bag. Do you in your team just what do you have like a little card that says what you are in it that you always well, have I, attached to, or I have everyone's memorized. Okay. So it's not. I mean, it's not so that. So your hard. memory is not bad. Yeah, but it's not that hard. It's like Do you know how many people don't know their letters. blood types? Yeah, like me. I'm yeah, just like, ah, I'm oh something. Or, or don't know their right. kids' sure. blood types. There's only eight oh, of well, them. Well, that's but that's totally acceptable. But if I told you tomorrow you and Ashley were going out on a combat mission and you would have to save her life, you yeah, would fucking true. remember I would, what I her would blood know. Type. Yeah. I, yes, I would absolutely remember. Yeah. I got to the point where I knew most of my guys' social security numbers too. Wow. I couldn't remember all of them because I lost motivation. But yeah. like in Sears school, there's a story. They tell you about a POW from, I believe it was Vietnam. He got cap. U.S. service member got captured, and he memorized the full name and social of everybody that was in the camp with him. And it was something incredible. I I don't remember the actual number, but it was all it was more than twenty or thirty. Wow. And when he got out, he was granted an early release. And when he got home and was debriefed, he was able to give all that information to. Um, well, us, the U.S. government. Yeah, like, wow. oh, this that's is incredible. Yeah, pretty insane, right? So that motivated me to like, I'm going to remember it. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> and I got like three or four, and I was like, you know what, dude, blood type's good. Like, yeah, I like, know who this motherfucker is. I'm not worried about it's it. It's like but, order of rank. Yeah, yeah definitely are saving like, you. Yeah. For sure saving you. Right. You're getting the O negative, right. so well, hopefully like that works. There's only like nine of us. It's like, who exploded? Like, well, it was, you know, Steve. Like, which Steve? Like, there's only one Steve. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, I memorize blood types, but then usually uh, – not usually, definitely. If we're taking out someone who we don't normally take, I will get that information from them prior. Okay. You know, all their, I mean, because all that stuff is on like a roster and on a computer and it's being submitted along with the information of what we're doing like to a lot of people. And there's airplanes watching us. Sometimes there's drones watching us. Like it's not, you can't just like go willy nilly. Like when the Special Operations Command does something overseas on a mission, it's like, Every all of the information is with the people that need it, which is cool. So your team is your family. Yes. Oh yeah. It was. I mean, it was. We mm-hmm. don't. I'm not on the team anymore, but I'm but still very now? tight with those. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. 
There's multiple group chats where it's mostly memes. We communicate in yeah. memes, <laughs> like normal people. All good families right, do. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, you're extremely tight. I was single, no kids at the time. And so I bonded more with the other two guys that were single, no kids. Because um, for the most part, especially in older dudes in the military, they're married with kids. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're, I mean, you get together on the weekends, you're hanging out, you're working every day, you deploy, you're together all day, every day, you watch movies, you're just hanging out, you know, working out, partying. It's just, you did, yeah, you're super tight. If you're lucky. Now, I was very lucky. That some, not, not all teams are like that, right? But mm-hmm. I had a very, very good team, excellent senior leadership, and that culture trickled down into the younger guys. So we had a really good time. Do you think that that shaped the way like that you did stay in it for so long oh, and yeah. such. Not that you would go in and say, you know, oh, I'm going to quit, but that probably has a really big effect on a yeah. lot of the guys. So I got pulled. So one of the things Army Special Forces does, and I guess all branches do to a certain extent, but definitely us, is once you've hit, it used to be five, now it's like it's less. Um, once you've done a few years on the team and gotten experience and you become a senior guy, they pull you to the training school. So like then you you are now the senior instructor who's training the new guys to go to a team. Mm-hmm. So I got pulled for instructor duty um, before I wanted to. So I was actually pretty upset about that. And mm-hmm. uh, I ended up, what they call it, ETSing. I left active duty after the instructor um, tour that I did, which was three years. And I didn't go back to my unit because by the point I was ready to go back, there was only one one guy left on my team that was from the original crew mm-hmm. and he was getting ready to go to his instructor time. So there wasn't, my team wasn't there anymore. Right. You know, I'm going to try not to cry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're, you they're still, your buddies. Everyone yeah. listening, they're still alive. They're, they're good. good. <laughs> they're not dead. They just went to other places mm-hmm. and other units. So um, in that regard, yeah, it was, uh, it, we were super tight. I didn't want to leave them. And if they were all still there by some weird way, I probably would have, my wife and I would have had a long talk and I would have gone back to that team. Okay. For sure. Yeah. I mean, think of it's sometimes like a job, like that could make it or break it for you. Oh yeah. And you're never going to, that's the thing I tell young guys and really anybody who in some sort of endeavor where they have to push themselves. So you're never going to get those opportunities again. Like Mm. I will never again be in my twenties on a special forces team hanging out with the boys and going to training and going to deployments. Like you're just not Mm -hmm. like as much as I, as tough as I think I am now, or it's just not even accessible. Right. Right. I just, it doesn't matter if I go run a marathon and I bench press a million pounds. I can't physically go back and do those things anymore. Just not possible. And that's okay to some extent, you know, and then you just look towards the future and we enjoy that season for what it was. It's not okay. (laughs) It's all about your perspective. (laughs) No, it is. No, you're right. You're right. And so actually that brings up a quote that I've been thinking about lately is, I don't know who said it, but the concept essentially is it was about suicide, right? I'm not saying I'm going to kill myself. I'm saying I'm not going to kill myself. I legally have to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever thought about it? That's not a joke, but (laughs) do you think that this is a way out? No, no. Uh, So the, basically the, the concept was people end up following through, especially young people nowadays on taking their own lives because they feel like death is the only way out. And that's a normal emotion to have. But the thing is, you're supposed to have a figurative death of the self at that age. 
at 18 or 19, it's okay to feel like you don't want to be alive. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, you're a young man or a young woman, you're supposed to be finding your purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing you were needs to go away and die to a certain extent. Maybe not in a bad way, maybe it is in a, a bad way, right? That that was a really harmful pattern that you were in. But that death, that's the only way you can have rebirth and growth. Yeah. And that's what's supposed to happen. And so, yes, you're right, Ashley, it is okay. <laughs> It is okay to move beyond that, right? Like you have to get over those things yeah. and you can't dwell on them. Well, it's it's kind of, I mean, it's a beautiful process. It's actually biblical, like letting the Lord prune you and cutting away things that yeah. no longer serve you, even if you do really want it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that, you know, it's not a part of you anymore. It's just... You learn and grow from it. You learn and grow and you move on and... Ego right. death. Ego death. Ego death. Ego yeah. death is the big thing. If you can get rid of your ego, mm -hmm. I mean, nobody can get rid of it, but... Control it, control, minimizing yeah. it, rather right? than which, let it control you. Which you asked about ketamine, I think, um, very useful for PTSD treatment. Mm -hmm. It's very useful at point of injury too, because it uh, causes retrograde amnesia. So it's not actually a painkiller; it's a disassociative. Yes. And so it does not numb anything. It sends your brain to outer space. I think they use. I mean, I'm pretty sure they use it in like ORs and like Correct. in the hospital yeah. setting. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I use yeah. it. I and at festivals. Yeah. Right, or they, yeah, they <laughs> you know? freeze it into powder and snort it. Do you yeah. call it Special K <laughs> in the field as well? Yeah, hey, no, 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 it's closely monitored, actually. I do, I, I, that's one of the unique things about Special Forces medics is we are given a full loadout of narcotics to a take with loot. us. Yeah, right, and so it's very closely monitored, obviously, as you would imagine. Yes, so yeah. Ketamine, uh, fentanyl, midazolam, uh, Versed, um, or that is Versed, uh, Valium you know, pain killing pills, you know, Percocets, all that stuff, mm -hmm. we keep it under lock and key. And it's one of the more um, unique things about special operations. Again, talking about that freedom of movement, right? Like we are given, I operate under the license of our surgeon, our army surgeon. And he's, you know, he meets with you and says, so you're okay. You have this, you know, left and right limits for your scope of practice, right? Here's what you can do. Here's when I need a phone call, et cetera. But yeah. for the most part, yeah, we have all of that stuff overseas, which is awesome to yeah. be able to do that. But I think I personally have not tried any sort of ketamine treatment. I've heard really good things about it. Um, I've, I've also really heard good really good things about Ibogaine and other hallucinogenics, which the point is ego death. I think, excuse me, you edit out that. I just had a little, <laughs> a little burp, I'm leaving it in. a little burpee. <laughs> Sorry. Um, You're human doc. Yeah, no, I'm not. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, I, this is my personal pet theory. The reason why the military doesn't want you to do hallucinogens is, well, they don't know this. How could they? But it gets it dilutes your ego, right? It's impossible for you to treat another person like a subhuman person if you understand that humanity is just all kind of one big group, right? It's and just, if you are them, yeah. Right. So if you have a, a unity of consciousness with... ISIS, right? Yeah. That doesn't make you a very good <laughs> yeah. combat I'm not, fighter. I'm not doing it. Right? I'm not like, killing hey, them. Hey, man, it's the same trip. Now, yeah. granted, that's I, you Peace, would never do that. Peace, not war. Well, those are actual pieces of shit who deserve to be grease stains on the ground. But that's, you know, like normal people, like or someone you work with, right? Like, hey, go tell that private over there he's an idiot and he needs to mop harder, you know? <laughs> you can't do that if you just you understand that a tree and a squirrel and you are all on the same trip, right? Mm -hmm, it's like right. everyone's just trying to get by, dude. Let's leave this kid alone. You yeah, know? So it right, right. Or so, maybe it would solve a lot, actually. I think it would help. But, yeah. I mean, unofficially, I think it would help. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the, the point is... The ego thing, if you can minimize that, that cuts out a lot of the white noise in your brain. You yeah. Know? And it's, it's, 
humility is one of the best things that you can practice because once you realize that you ain't shit, then you kind of take it easier on other people too. You know, everyone's totally. kind of having a hard time, right? And it's all relative. And I tell my wife that all the time. It's like sometimes she'll feel bad about like I've, I've been through things and she hasn't, right? She's like, I don't know why I'm complaining because you've been through worse things. And like it doesn't matter. Your pain level is your pain level, right? Mm-hmm. If, all, if you've only ever just stubbed a toe, that's your 10 out of 10 pain. Right. Doesn't mean it's less important than someone who's had their pelvis broken in a car accident, right? It's just relative to that's you. That's all they can understand. Yeah, it's the same thing with experience. So it's, you know, I, I think people should be open to it, especially if you're a veteran dealing with PTSD or some something of that nature. Um, ketamine therapy, it's a lot out there. That I think actually like covered by insurance now and it's fully legit. Um, yeah. It's definitely worth looking into for sure. And You've, you've raised a lot of money for mental health in, mm-hmm. in regards to Green Bray, the right. Green Bray Foundation. Green Bray Foundation, yeah, specifically. So that's it's a gold star charity, and what that means is it's an organization that helps families who've lost service members overseas. Then mm. um, this one's specific to the Green Berets. So yeah, I've donated, raised and donated a lot of money to them, and um, definitely near and dear to my heart because the military covers you. Um, let's say, for example, I was to get injured, right? Well... Uh, if I was killed, you know, my wife would receive a life insurance benefit payout. Um, uh, but that's really, there's some logistical costs that they'll cover, you know, burial and all that. You know, but outside of that, um, there's really not a whole ton of help for the strange things, right? Like, hey, let's say I hurt my leg and I need mm-hmm. a walker. Well, I don't have nine weeks to go through the VA system to get a walker, right? Or, right. I can't get this therapy modality, for example, like maybe a ketamine treatment approved from the VA or from whomever at, in the government. So that's where the Green Beret Foundation steps in. They'll, let's say, you know, someone gets injured and their wife needs to fly there, right? Or their whole family needs to fly to overseas. They'll pay for that ticket. You know, they'll put them up in a hotel, no questions asked, whatever, right? Like, you want that extra PT equipment? Here you go. They're going to pay for it for you. Um, and it's helped out a lot of my good friends and their families get through some stuff where not say the military doesn't take care of you. It's just that it's not Limited. the most, yeah, it's not the most agile organization, yeah. right? It's not able and it's to a respond. System. Right. You got to so go through it. Sometimes and it takes time. you need help, right? And you have these guys who have been used to being supported, right? When they need something, right? Like, hey, I need an airstrike. Not six weeks from now when you get the email. I need it now, right? right? right. So you ask that level of sacrifice from them. That's only fair that they get the level of support back. Yeah. Is that one of your main priorities right now for the future is helping that organization out? Now that you're here in Michigan, like what, what are you working towards next? Um, yeah, so it is, yes, and being involved. Um, honestly, the, in the recent uh, past, I've become more involved with police and firefighters in this area. Now, not so much supporting them, but providing training and being involved in the community. Um, I mean, um, I support them. What I mean is yes. like not like a nonprofit. Like yeah. I'm actively training police and firefighters wow. in this area. And it's helped me realize that, of course, I have owe a debt to my uh, service members and it will keep raising money and helping them. But also it's uh, been a good experience for me understanding that, like I need to make my community better as well, like the actual community around me. So having a lot of fun doing that and doing some SWAT training, some tactical medical training, like first responder training, training mm-hmm. some civilian groups um, and the hemorrhage control, things like that. And just trying to disseminate the information that I have as much as possible. Yeah, um, it's yeah, needed. Yeah, for sure. But veteran stuff will always be near and dear to me. I don't know how to go about it 
as an individual other than supporting those organizations that exist. So if you're out there and you want to donate money or help someone, then Green Bay Foundation is a really good one. Their ratio in terms of like pennies per dollar that go to the actual recipient is very high. So it's up there. Yeah, as but you're not always like you can't always be sure with some charities. Yeah, <laughs> like right. where is that no. money going? <laughs> yeah, really. I forget the third party, but there's an or well, probably a couple organizations that rate charities based off of that number. Yeah. You know, it's it's got a pretty favorable rating. So good. they're good folks. They're doing good things. For Green sure. Grave Foundation. Yep, yep. There's That's others awesome. too. Special operations. Um, what's it called? Transition fund. Um. There's a lot of them out there, you know, but I mean, for me, I'm obviously partial to Green Beret Foundation. Sure, yeah, sure. Go check yeah. them out. It's worth the Google. We have <laughs> we'll link Google it too. Search. Yeah. Yeah, we will link it. And then what's next for us is skydiving. Oh, oh. yes. We haven't talked about skydiving. <laughs> Wait, are you going? I know you, so I did go to Midwest I was going to you, she, he, you did. didn't tell me. Play that First of all, check your tone. All right. <laughs> Se second of all, no, it actually was not. I did not instigate the trip. My brother-in-law and his friend just came up with it for his buddy's birthday. Did you jump? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And he hit me up. He's like, yo, do you want to go skydiving? And I was like, there's a shark shit in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Wipe his Wait, ass what? with the Pope's hat. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> nah, That's you a gotta, new one. <laughs> yeah. You got to mix them all up. Right. Uh, so I was like, I don't think they do. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. Well, where then? Um, so you went skydiving. <laughs> right. And uh, they did tandem jumps. So because yeah. I wasn't current, because it's been a while since I've skydived, they... You had to jump with it. Yeah. Yeah. They had to... Who'd had you to jump with? Was that oh, so weird to jump with somebody after all I your... I his name. Dang it. Jason. I think it might have been Jason. Scruffy kind of beard. Yeah. Short hair. Tall guy, dark. Yeah, tallish, shortish guy, lightish, darkish. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. You know. I forget. Wait, how I, many of your friends did tandem? Two. Okay. So they jumped. I wanted to jump next to them because I have my coach rating, but I wasn't current. So they wanted me to do a check dive. So with, why don't you just do a check dive and then go up on the next load and do it Because they them? went on, on the same lift. They just oh, did one. Yeah, we were gotcha. all on the same lift. It was okay. like the last one of the day. Okay, okay. Um, but it was cool. It's, it's a, a cool drop zone awesome there, isn't it? Awesome little drop zone. Yeah, I know. it's very cool. Very I neat. Very nice. I did a lot of skydiving previously. I just, we've been so busy. Yeah. I just was not on the top of my I'm list. happy you did well, that's, it here. That's one thing you trained on. Like you yes. would train other. Correct. I was a, a instructor. Like instructor I taught us. skydiving for the army. Yeah. So that was a wild job and very fun. How many jumps do you uh, have? I have around, including civilian jumps or just military? Oh, I guess just all. All, I only have about 800. Only 800. I know. It sounds Very shitty. Low it on sounds the totem shitty pole. when I say it like that. But no, what, it's a ton. Other instructors have, you know, 1,500, 2,000 yeah. or more. Yeah, especially they've been skydiving for a long time because I was an instructor during COVID. Oh, so okay. it shut us down for, I missed out on probably three or 400 jumps over the course of COVID and all that because they shut us down because it's, yeah. and you can't travel, you can't do anything, you can't skydive. So do you have your own gear? I forgot. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think yeah. I did ask you. Yeah. What do you fly? Uh, I have a 190. Okay. Yeah. Which is good enough for me because, well, I used to be heavier. Thank you. Intermittent fasting. <laughs> change my life. 15 pounds. But I don't, like, even when I work, I jump to 210. Like, I am not. Okay. I'm, I'm only down about, to a 190. I was trying to get to a 170 that's, this year. Yeah, that's plenty. I, dude, do not be in a hurry to downsize. No. Do not. Do I'm that. not in a hurry for anything with skydiving. I don't. I'm play it very safe. I like Good. low and slow. Don't, yeah. I'm don't coming in. Be dumb. I, yeah, we've, I've done some 
very minimal like canopy control courses mm-hmm. and more performance diving out of those things and to me it's just scary it's like riding a motorcycle and then like hey just you know hang off it a little bit yeah, like yeah. Oh, why? no it's already <laughs> dangerous like i'm already just suspended dangled. in the air by yeah. a bed yeah. sheet i don't want to go faster <laughs> so for me that's i i enjoy canopy control and accuracy because the a lot of the training i did had to do with like actual navigation under canopy so instead of skydiving, we're opening at high altitudes, like a hop and pop. Yes. But at 18,000 feet. Wow. 30 kilometers or whatever away from a point on the yeah. ground that's not like, marked. Get all the way over there. Right. And it's not marked. It's on your GPS. It's on your smartphone, right? Your like military smartphone. And you got to navigate there as a group and land as close as you can to it with all your equipment. And so, and you also have, you know, night vision, oxygen mask, rucksack, two weapons, sometimes specialty equipment. Like I've also jumped barrels. I'm a... Wow. Um, wow. So How do you land with all that? <laughs> hard. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. You PLF. Yeah, the there's no stand-up landing. Yeah, you just... Talk about keep... TBIs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I got a couple from jumping, a couple of really hard openings that rocked my world yeah. and hurt my neck and back. My oh neck my and my back. Yeah, I'm uh, not looking for... That's why I'm so neurotic that. about packing. Yeah. Like, I'll have someone else pack it. Oh, yeah. And someone's I like, just, sh- just shove it in there. It'll open. Just and I'm like, it. what? It no. wants to open. No, I don't pack mine because I want my blood to be on someone else's hands. Yeah. But no, I'm like screwing you want with it done my professional. cutaway. Yes. Yeah, and I'm dying. I don't want to curse myself. I want to blame somebody else. I think I asked you this at dinner, but how many times have you had to cut away? I have not. Okay. Thanks a lot. Blessings. Are you trying to jinx me? 800. Look at it. you hear Fake you believe that? <laughs> oh, this is fake. Oh, I'm kidding. Shit. I'm kidding. <laughs> Window frame. That's what. There, got it. There you go. <laughs> She's trying to jinx me. She's like, "Have you cut away yet?" She what is cutting away? It's a question Just that like you ask. No, you don't. Yeah, you do. That's like asking a race car driver if he's crashed recently. You're like, well, I mean, no, I don't want to. Yeah, you don't. You just don't think about it. Is that a good enough it. analogy? I don't. No, cutting away. So when you open your parachute, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes it can have a really bad problem, and you have to get rid of it. So you pull one of the little things on your parachute and the that first one goes away and a second one comes out. Oh, you a always have a second one? one? Pull your yes. reserve. Yeah. Correct. Okay, I guess, yeah, you need a reserve. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, 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 people, I yeah. mean, there's a lot of room in there. Yeah, yeah. There's two on your back. Those little, <laughs> okay. the top part is a reserve and the bottom one is the main one. Okay. And some people have jumped 800 times and have never had to or... Have you I think had I'm to? Do you have no, one? No. Oh, I'm okay. at... I think I'm at 69 jumps exactly, actually. And I wanted to hit 100 this summer really, really bad. But some people have jumped 10 and they've had to cut away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's just luck of the jump. Well, you know, a lot of times, too, I mean, not to get too deep into skydiving, but a lot of times cutting away, you know, can be uh, inexperienced. You're never supposed to tell somebody not to cut away, right? Yeah. Because they're in charge. Like, if that's what they felt they had to do, you're not there. You can't see it, right? Right. But a lot of times, like people who are just starting, they'll cut away like a spinning malfunction, or sometimes one of your little control handles will come out by itself, oh, gosh. and it'll you'll think something bad is happening. If you're listening out there, just cut away. Yeah. I'm yeah. not telling you to <laughs> write it in. But a lot sometimes, I mean, I, I was an instructor. I just see this stuff a lot. Like people cut away things that probably shouldn't. Or be. if you want to lose a couple hundred bucks, then right? Yeah. Just... Well, that's the really bad thing people do in the private sector is like. You don't want to cut away because your canopy, you paid for it. Oh, yeah. Military, and you don't yeah, know if you're yeah. going to find it. You have skin in yeah. the game now. Yes. It's like, I want to keep this with yeah. me. Like, yeah, like the thousands of dollars, right? right? In the military, I'm like, fuck that thing. Yeah. Like, just fucking <laughs> launch that thing out in I've the desert. I've got one it's line fine. twist. There's yeah. no way I'm getting yeah, out exactly. of this I'm one. I'm not fighting this. I'm done with this what, shit. What's the like craziest terrain that you've jumped in? 
uh, like unmarked drop zones in the Arizona desert. So oh, wow. like a lot of uneven terrain, like I almost, I was chasing a student who landed, uh, he had a cutaway actually, and I was trying to land next to him and mm -hmm. I landed like almost on a little cliff. And what I should have done is cut away my mane because the winds were high on the ground and I didn't, I wasn't paying attention enough. So I was focused on him because mm -hmm. I had an aid bag with me. And I almost got pulled down into a ravine. Oh my that was gosh! Not cash money. So some uh, some strange uh, landings. But that's the nature of military jumping. Is it's you know it's not skydiving. Right. Right. You right. have to make that very clear to students. Like, so we're like, not here to have fun. What's going through your head when you jump in a combat zone like that? Like, I have don't have any combat jumps. Thanks oh, a lot, okay. Ashley. Thanks sorry. for bringing it up. <laughs> so How sorry. dare you? No, no, it's fine. No, it's <laughs> honestly that is a. That's good, honestly. It is good if you're a complete loser. Uh, no, it's... <laughs> Don't be too hard on yourself. No, we talked I, about listen, this. <laughs> that's why I am who I am, because I'm just a huge piece of shit, and that's what I tell He's myself. He's going to have to hold no, the paddles for like six yeah, hours exactly. Tomorrow. Like, you know what Ashley said? She's like, who's Ashley? Bullied like, some me. jerk. She's a jerk. Um, no, it's... Uh, there are combat jumps happening but they're at a level above my head. So like I was on a free fall team that specializes in that, but our teams wouldn't get approval to do those missions because it wasn't required because we had trucks. Mm -hmm. So it's like, imagine a little kid talking to you, right? And he's like, hey, can I jump the parachute into the park? And you're like, why? It's like, because it's tight. <laughs> <laughs> like you could just drive, I'll drive you there. Yeah, you're yeah. like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I don't want to ride there. I want to parachute into the playground. They're like, no, you can't, it's unnecessary. So that's usually how it went. Okay. We have so much resources, so many available routes to go somewhere and do something and so much, um, really freedom of movement. Like we, it was not a mission requirement, Okay. but some units occasionally they'll, and even to this day, they'll go on a mission that infiltration to the area where they're going to be working is not doable with a helicopter or a truck, so they do take parachutes in. That would be wild. Yeah, not pretty badass. Expect. Yeah, I mean that's and you're like, jumping into enemy territory, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like yes, and I guys have done it. Guy, I mean, there's it's happened. Yeah, it's awesome. It's bad. It's the most badass thing. And as an instructor, it's definitely going to be. It's still possible for me, like because I'm. Uh, actively doing uh, private military contracting. So somewhere out there, there is a universe where I could get involved in things at some level and still be involved in that sort of operation. Mm -hmm. But in the military, it's unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll just have our fun at Midwest Freefall. Yeah. So I'll just keep skydiving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is very cool. And it's better when it's like, you know, you're not being eh, shot at. Debatable. And... <laughs> okay. We're not going to. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> no. You lost it. No. Mm -hmm. So with... The military, the military contracting, do you have any future deployments? Like, do you pick what you uh, want to go on now? Yeah, or? well, that's the beauty of private, right, yeah. is I don't have to get ordered anymore. I can pick and choose. So I have um, Are you allowed to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, not in detail. I mean, yeah, I yeah, just, yeah. it's very vague. But I have trips coming up, yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of domestic stuff currently, but um, the overseas things are happening, but I get to choose the pace of those based off how I want my family life to go. That's awesome. It is very cool. Yeah. It is very good. You've worked very hard to get there. Thank you. I'm still hate myself in the mirror when I get home. Stop. Just kidding. No, I won't. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Um, but Stop. that's we're starting three, to feel bad. Three things that, you love about yourself right yeah. now, Doc. Uh, I love how shitty I am. I love how stupid. No, I'm just kidding. It's but that's you know the perspective perspective pod, right? It's 
I'm not, I am my own worst critic for sure, but I'm not hard on myself. Like yeah. I am. You hold I, yourself to a high standard. Right. I do. You know, my mindset has always been like, uh, everything actually can work out. So why shouldn't it? Right. Mm-hmm. So I try to eliminate variables in a way that facilitates the things I want to happen. Right. I want to be successful on a team. So I'm going to stay in shape. Right. I want to be good at shooting. So I'm going to shoot on the weekends, you know, um, and even the more painful stuff like now, right? Like I want to have a good family life. So I need to communicate better with my wife. Like you have for, in terms of perspective from the special operations community, especially the most valuable guy is a guy who looks at a bad situation and sees it as an opportunity mm. right? to employ his skills or an mm-hmm. opportunity to manage his guys to leverage their skills. Right. Cause you can do a lot of really, really important stuff with a small group of guys if they're motivated, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have the unlimited resources of the United States government overseas. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> Cutting away right, all those just right, yeah, yeah, You know, just said airstrikes, right? It's magic. But the, um, the point is I choose to look at things as an opportunity. Now, it usually starts as a small seed of like you're not good enough, but that's self-doubt and that's everybody, right? And just like a muscle, you get stronger as you work it over time. So if you can that little now mine's a sesame seed, right? Of like that you can't do it. And it's just a little bit of fear and a little bit of self-loathing that's just a holdover from childhood. Thanks, mom. You know, and so, but now it's almost, it doesn't even affect me because I know over time I've demonstrated to myself and my inner circle that I can be successful in the things I put my mind to. And that's how it started with selection and the initial training in the military was I didn't know really anything outside of what I read in books. I didn't fully understand what I was getting myself into because you can't. Right. But I knew one thing for sure was that I'm just not going to quit. They're either going to deny me or my body's going to break. That is, those are the only way out of this. I'm not quitting. And if you just don't do that in anything you do, Mm -hmm. you will continue to make progress. And most people, I feel like they quit right before they're about to have a breakthrough, you know? Right. It's that last, it's your gut. And that's that self-doubt that most people get beaten down by is like, that point where your self-doubt is at the highest right at that moment that you quit, that's when you're about to beat it. Right. And you just got to give it that extra hour, that extra day or that Mm -hmm. extra week and you're going to get there. That's That's true in anything. That's what it comes down to. I listened to this one message um, called Don't Stop on Six. And it was about how Joshua walked around the walls of Jericho and he had to take him, what, seven times. And they weren't in war. What were they doing? playing instruments. So imagine, you know, their enemy laughing at them. What the heck are they doing? You think what's going on? God promised him the walls will come down on the seventh day. And if he would have stopped on six, if you would have quit, if you would have gave up, you would have never got to that number seven. So there's something better coming. Exactly. And that's, I can't, can't tell you how many times I've ended up getting exactly what I asked for and didn't realize it, you know, years later, right? You're like, oh shoot, that's actually what this exactly what's happening now is what I asked for. I just didn't know how it was going to come to me, mm-hmm. but you have to stay with it in order to get there. Right. Yeah. And, and not worry about how it's going to come to you. Exactly. Or when. That's what I try to tell, I tell younger guys, cause I'm, I'm still on a team in the national guard. It's just not as intense as it was on active duty. So my interactions are limited, but I still talk to some of the guys on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, I tell them like, Hey, you're, and just anybody in general really, but, you have to be careful what you ask for and you have to be intentional and specific about what you're trying to do with your life because you're not, you may not like how you get 
those opportunities if you're right. not intentional enough, right? Like mm-hmm. I wanted to be a, United, I told myself this every single morning, literally every morning from when I was 20. And now instead of telling myself what I'm going to become, I say, thank you for helping me become, you know, that. But every day I told myself, I want to be a United States Army Special Forces soldier, Green Beret, E7, Sergeant First Class, 18 Delta Sniper. Every fucking day. And I didn't even know what half those things meant, really. Mm-hmm. And eventually it happened. And I'm not saying it happened because of that, but it certainly didn't hurt for me to get right. my every cell in my body on the same page, right? Every single morning is essentially an affirmation. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And uh, honestly, it's kind of unbelievable to me that it worked, but that's because that's all I wanted. I quit my jobs. Yeah. I left home. Yeah. I had no backstop. Like that's doesn't have to be military stuff. Even though there's a lot of people on the internet from special operations talking about their life strategies for success because it works in whatever you do, right? Right, right. You just stay with it. That's what's going to happen. Like we were talking about Joe Rogan earlier. He's just a freaking knucklehead, but he never stopped making podcasts. Right, right? every day. If you watch his earlier ones on YouTube, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's... Well, it's kind of hard to watch, right? <laughs> like the first ones, you know, it's like him and Red Band in their living room. Yeah. And they're just hanging out. It's just like, his what buddy. Are, what are you grow. doing? Yeah, they're just like getting yeah. drunk and just hanging out. So anyway, there's, you know, not everyone needs a podcast, I guess. But the point is persistence is key and be intentional about what it is that yeah. you want mm-hmm. regardless of what it is. Yeah, consistency and being passionate about it. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the big things about Rogan too is like he's like, I'm just having fun with my friends and I enjoy doing right. this. And it totally took off. Right. Exactly. You just have to keep doing it. Start from wherever you are with whatever you've got. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of perspective, I did want to ask you, when you got back from certain deployments, or really any of them, Mm -hmm. and you come back into normal life again, how was the adjustment with that? And like, do you look around at people like, you don't know what I just went, like, I I don't know how you go from combat and seeing all of that or just like having your brain at that level of Mm -hmm. alertness, like you said, like standing around, but like doing the what ifs all the time. And then you come back in and someone's like complaining about their coffee order or like, you know, like all the like mundane things of daily life. Like how do you adjust? Uh, well it helps to, again, keep things in perspective, right? It's all relative. So I can't, I have no grounds to get upset with somebody because they're frustrated by like a, air quotes, normal life problem, right? Like, I don't care if you didn't, you wanted a skinny Frappuccino and this is whole milk, like, go shut up, get over it, right? But that's a real problem for somebody. Mm. So it, it's very helpful to remember that not everyone just did what you did. They don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And even to the extreme level, if you really want to process things, is like, they don't really care. And it's irrelevant mm-hmm. to them, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to understand that what you did is good for you. Hopefully you helped somebody. Um, you did your job as well as you could. And that that's your own individual pursuit, right? Mm-hmm. It's not anyone else's problem that I was just in a combat zone. So right. I need to process that shit on my own, right? Or with my buddies, right? But when you come back from that, like on this uh, last trip that I did, there was a couple days where I, I went straight from doing that type of stuff to like an office job. Like I'm talking like neck breaking, like that afternoon. And then the next morning I was on a computer and just like 10 out of 10 stressed out, like irritable, ready to explode at people because I was still amped up. Mm-hmm. Your brain yeah. is amped up yeah. mm-hmm. for days. You know, your nervous system is when you go through something that's really intense, like it's it's elevated. Right. And um, 
I had to be mindful of my P's and Q's. I had to make sure I was like extra patient with people. Mm Because again, not their problem, right? Um, And especially today's military, it's, I don't have a sense of entitlement because it's a volunteer army, right? Right. There's no draft. There hasn't been since the 70s. I signed up because, well, shoot, I signed up years and years ago because I wanted to fight Al-Qaeda, right? And by the time I got there, it was ISIS, which is, that's a whole nother podcast, right? But (laughs) um, essentially... You know, I did I did this for my country, and then I did it for my family, and then I also did it for me, you mm-hmm. know, because I wanted to do that. Nobody forced me to do this. I wanted to go and do these things. Yeah. So it's important to remember that because um, less than 1% of the population has been in the military at this point. It's wild. And so, yeah, and that's okay, too. Yeah, like, yeah. I have no resentment, right? Like, right. I did it. It's, it's rad. I'm sorry you didn't do it, you know, because it's really cool. So in terms of transitioning back, again perspective is important remembering that what you did stays over there and that no one you know back in the states or in your family or on your team or whatever deserves your wrath because you're dealing with something that you're processing yeah right you wouldn't trade it all like you did it for you you wouldn't trade it to come back to be able to relate to that person who is mad about that no i don't because i have other people i relate to i relate to the guy who was there yeah we i mean i have more interest in that person anyway right and their qualities. Do you have like a certain routine that you do to come down? Cause I know, like you said, like, okay, you're amped up for a certain amount of days. And I don't know, I don't even know if it would be healthy to like come back and just like jump back into the office. Yeah. You know, like, uh, is there like a routine? Like, okay, I'm going to cold plunge or like, I don't right. know, whatever it is that kind of helps you unwind. Uh, for me, it's uh, gym time and then walking. I do all my best thinking when I'm walking. Oh, it's one o'clock. One o'clock on Saturday. Yeah, the what is it? The tornado. Tornado test. test. (laughs) Is there a tornado coming? Do I need to leave? (laughs) No. Hold on. No, no, it's fine. What the hell? Okay, cool. It's every Saturday at one. I forgot about that. Yeah, they like test. I think think it's it's everywhere. I don't have one. You've never heard this before. I mean, I remember hearing this growing up. Well, it's funny. It sounds like. So you guys, okay, this is actually Is this what it sounds like yes. when a bomb goes off? No, well, yeah. If, I'm like thinking you know, like... Well, we wear ear protection like this. So oh, most of okay. the time your ears don't get exploded. Good. But you hear that like ringing? Yeah. yeah. That's what tinnitus sounds like. Oh. I wonder, this is not going to be audible on the recording, is it? I don't know. I won't know until right, it's wait, Hold on, Shh, hold on. They'll be able to that hear would be it. So yeah. irritating. So if you're to listening hear. and you want to know what tinnitus is like and you're not sure if you have it, that's what it sounds like. So when there's no ambient noise in a room and I'm sitting there, my ears make that noise. Do you have that? Mm-hmm. You have to, oh gosh. Yeah. Sometimes my, <laughs> you're one like, of my, hold on. Yeah. Sometimes one of my ears will just shut off. And that's like just ear brain damage. Oh wow. Which I didn't know was normal, but the when I went when I got out of active duty, the VA looks at you and they document all your injuries and stuff. And they're just like, tell me what's wrong. And you just head to toe. You tell them what's up. And I told the doc that. And I was like, you know, sometimes my ear will just shut off. And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, that's that's normal. That's, that's wild. So anyway. Um, just ignore the ear, the ringing yeah. in your yeah. ear. It's, uh, <laughs> r- yeah, it's fine. You'll be, well, you won't, but it's, you know, yeah. it's there. Um, so you said walking and. And um, just processing, thinking. Just processing. And being open and to that, right? Um, like the therapy I'm doing now. Like, mm-hmm. You have to be open to ways of getting better. And that's at the gym or that's with therapy or that's with your family or whatever your endeavor is. Like you need to be open-minded enough to pursue a way to get better, right? Yeah. And that's just one of those things where 
there there was heavy stigma on counseling and PTSD, you know, 20 years ago, yeah. definitely early 2000s, like after the Iraq invasion, all that, like there's some really, really hard movies to watch out there about like uh, global war on terror veterans, like makes them look like psychos, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of guys out there that are struggling, you know, and gals, but the, for them and for me, the only way to get better and not become that like negative version is to process that stuff and better to do with a counselor if you can yeah but if not call the va and they'll help you out if you're a veteran if you're not a veteran then there's other services out there that will also do the same thing but you'd have to google it because i don't know i mean you could even apply the same principle that you started with as far as set your intention say what you're going to accomplish and then never quit right exactly do not quit that's my message for anybody doing anything (laughs) is don't stop i love it it's an important one. Mm-hmm. We're going to all apply it. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for the uh, focus mints. Yes. And thank you for the drugs. Yeah. Now that I'm fully <laughs> amped up, I'm going to... The gonna, supplement drugs. Yeah. I'm going to unleash myself on the world. Totally. But thank yeah. you. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's very cool. No, we you appreciate you Same more than back. you know. Yes. And once again, thank you for your service, everything mm-hmm. you're doing, the Green Brace Foundation. Um, I mean, it's all incredible and it's all needed and necessary and it's important work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Happy to do it and look forward to seeing you guys again. Until next time.